0: Morning, T. Welcome along to uh, yet another day. It's great to reach Thursday, isn't it? This week's going by so quickly. And what's the good news? Tomorrow's payday. People love payday. Yeah, all around the country, people are going yeah, payday tomorrow because it's it, it's kind of dragged a little bit this month, hasn't it? And so all of a sudden you can have some money in the bank, and then you can go out and you can eat again and and buy the booze and go on the cruise, do all the stuff that you really want to do. I think that's exciting. I like payday. Payday always cheers me up. I don't know why, mainly because I've had a lot of bills this month, and <laughs> we need the payday to sort them out, which is good news. Uh, we will tell you about the debris from the uh, from the missing flight, they think. I think not, I'm afraid, and another breakthrough in the search for Madeleine McCann. All of that and more this morning on LBC. And, of course, we take your texts and emails, 84850steve at lbc.co.uk. Now, I give you that, that information, but at this precise moment... The internet's gone a bit, uh, a bit pear-shaped again, so we have to wait. It's, it's on, off, on, off at the moment. I don't know why they do it. I mean, mine, mine's done it before at home. God, you feel like you've had an arm amputated, don't you? All of a sudden, when you don't have the computer, it's like, all of a sudden, my phone doesn't work. Why oh, doesn't the phone work? What's the, what's the matter with the phone not working? You worry about stuff like that. It's, there's, there's lots of little things nowadays, and, and you think to yourself, how do we ever survive before the internet I don't know how we survived. I, mem- I remember LBC in the early days. We had a reference library and we had a cuttings library. In the cuttings library, somebody was employed every day to go through the papers and cut stories out. So they would cut a bit on Madeleine McCann and then they would fold it. They'd stamp it with a date stamp and it, uh, stamp and it would go into a drawer. So if you needed to know stuff about Madeleine McCann, there was an archive of Madeleine McCann. We also used to start obituaries as well. For for people you thought might not make it through the year, you would start an obituary for them. So we had one for all members of the royal family, and it would be little clips, either of them saying something or reporters down there to do it, so that if, in the event of uh, somebody dying... You've then got an obit to play, and they would go, you get the obit, and you get it out. Now it's all digitally remastered, and so you've got everything. So you can put something together literally within, I should imagine, a few minutes of somebody dying. It's uh, it's it's very carefully worked out, but when the internet goes down as it has this morning, all of a sudden you start thinking, what the dickens are we going to do now? And then I think, well, we've got loads in the newspapers. There are loads of good stories to get your blood boiling and I think it's good to have your blood boiling. Somebody said to me, oh, you're obviously a very angry person. No, not in the slightest. I laugh all the way to the bank. Believe you me, I have no, no trouble with anger management at all. I love exposing the frauds that are in the papers. I love weaving the stories in. I love talking about the deadbeat celebrities. I mean, I did laugh because of the producer. Because Porty's back. He's back from Ireland. He's been to see his mammy. And uh, oh my God, he's been catching up in London since he's been back. Anyway, so uh, he did bring me back some uh, some white and black sausage. It's uh, it's it's like that because apparently it's it's a delicacy, as you know. We we talked about. Wait a minute, let me find the thing. Otherwise, you'll you'd have no idea what we're talking about on the program. Uh, we were talking about white pudding, and I said I'd never heard of white pudding, and he said, oh, it's it's a favourite in Ireland. I said, well, I've heard of black pudding. And he said, no, there's, there's white pudding as well. And Clonacilty do a little gift pack. So bless his heart, because he travelled Ryanair, so he didn't, didn't want to pay the extra, and, uh, or bring me back a huge gift. So he's managed to find the smallest thing that he could, it could fit into his pocket. And he's brought it back, and it's Clonacilty's black and white pudding. And then it's got the ingredients on the back. And I said, how do you eat it? And he said, well, you fry it. And uh, this, this recipe goes back to the 1880s. And and there is actually a place called Clonakilty. I thought it was, that was a trade name, but it is actually Clonakilty. And they've got a website, which is Clonakilty Black Pudding. It's got a figures, doesn't it? Really, you know, if it was Clonakilty, you know, sage and onion stuffing, then it'd be Clonakilty State Sage and Onion Stuffing. And so I, I've got a month to eat it. And he said, "You're just right." He said, "Some people eat it raw." So I'm assuming it's a little bit like haggis, it, but it says you sort of you sort of slice it. I think we need to cook it. I think it'd be better cooked. But I don't know how you cook it. Does the skin change colour? It gets a bit darker. Oh, you can grill it as well. OK. How long do you think you grill for? Do you want to have a rub? Oh, a couple of minutes. Oh, right. So it's fairly, fairly fast. But anyway, it's been handed down, and uh, it's the it's the Twomey family. Sorry, Twomey. Oh, Twomey. Oh, sorry. It's, pr- it's spelt Twomey. Twomey in Ireland. Are they well known? Are they... Oh, right, OK, fantastic. And uh, so they become Ireland's favourite products, Clonakilty White Pudding. So I'm going to try it. Might, if you don't try, you don't know, do you? So I might as well try it and see what happens. If I'm not here tomorrow, you know he's trying to kill me. Uh, <laughs> but I love the way he tweeted something I yesterday, saying, I've got a present for Steve Allen. He doesn't know what it is yet. Now I've seen it. When he produced it from his bag, you know, my little eyes lit up, as they do, you know. K Burley retweeted it, bless her heart. <laughs> My boss said to me the other day, because he likes Kay Burley, and uh, I was explaining about the present situation on Sunday, and uh, I said to her on air, I said, don't bring me in any presents, because every week she brings me in a present, and every week I say, look, stop it, this is getting expensive, I'm not rich like you, I'm just a poor struggling person, you know, trying to make ends meet, and uh, so, th- so this week she didn't bring in a present, which was great, because I brought her in too. So that kind of made it... And she said, oh, you so-and-so. She said, that makes me feel guilty now. I said, no, no, it doesn't make you feel guilty. So this week I'm expecting a huge wardrobe or a sideboard to turn up or something interesting like that. Uh, so a couple of papers are running with Madeleine McCann this morning. New arrest within weeks, say the Daily Star. But there again, they've always jumped the gun. I don't think there's going to be any arrests. I don't think they're ever going to find out what happened to her. But you have to hang on to that sort of hope, don't you? And every so often they put another name in the frame. But so far nobody's been questioned... Nobody's been stopped. There's been nothing at all. The jury's still out in the Max Clifford trial. The judges directed they'll go to a majority. I think they've been out for five days. I think that's quite a long time to be out for five days on a case like this. But they obviously can't decide. So he's gone for a majority verdict. He's looking for they've already lost a few jurors, though, haven't they? So we'll we'll wait and see. I'm sure that will be something that happens a little bit uh, later on today. The cure for snoring is going to get you all going, because I know that this is a big problem. Because if you are overweight, if you drink, if you smoke, if you're over the age of about 35, 40, you could be prone to snoring. And it it can drive people to distraction. It can be the thing that can split marriages up. And so if ever you're in a fortunate position of having... An extra bedroom and your partner snores, go sleep in the other room. It's the only way that you're going to get a decent night's sleep. We had somebody here and he went off for uh, all sorts of things. He tried everything. Over the years, the, the so-called cures for snoring are legendary. And the only one that I can ever remember, because they, they, they did things like... I remember we had something once and you inserted it into your nose, like a little bit of plastic, and it opened up the, the nasal passage. But the one that intrigued me the most, and I've never found it since, was a very simple injection. Because when you snore, your palate at the back of your throat vibrates. That's the... that's that bit. That's vibrating. Now, if that palate at the back of your throat is hard, it's not going to vibrate. It's going to reduce the vibration. And so somebody had come up with an injection. Now, do not write in and ask me, because we've been asked over the years, and I cannot remember. All I know is I read this article some years ago, and in the back, dark recesses of my mind, I've remembered that somebody had this injection which hardened up the palate the back of the throat. And that subsequently stopped the snoring, or certainly reduced it. And in some cases, it stopped completely. But ever since then, I've not read anything about it. And there have been various... Like, there was one where you could put a sticky thing over your nose. I mean, that's just... People would do anything. Because if you do snore, and bearing in mind it's quite dangerous to snore, it can kill you. It can kill you. Some people, you know, have actually stopped breathing at night. So you have to be extremely careful. But, but what the answer is, I don't know. We had a, the long discussion yesterday on the programme about the breast cancer drug and the fact that Roche were not going to reduce the price of it because it was very expensive to produce, and it was very expensive to actually come up with the research that found this thing. But if it can prolong somebody's life, you think, isn't it great? You can, you can find a drug that can prolong somebody's life by, you know, anything up to, I think, 30 months. And some people, there's a woman the other day on the television, two and a half years later, she's still going on this drug, but it's so, so expensive. And I think, and here is a young man in hospital at the moment dying... And he knows he's dying, and he's only 17, and he's raised over a million pounds for charity. And we'll come around to him later, because I interviewed Fern Britton yesterday before she went off to do Loose Women. So I recognised the outfit straight away. And we were talking about this, and old said, oh, don't. She said, it's just so awful, isn't it? He's 17, he knows that he's going to die, he knows that he's terminal, and here he is, raising money, and still having the strength to tweet. And the funny thing is, you look at a picture of him, and he looks so healthy. You don't know what's going on inside the poor boy's body, but you think to yourself, you know, we, we, we can maybe come up with a, a drug, expensive though it is, for breast cancer. And I think that, you know, you have to sort of say, if I was Roche or if I was some, you know, huge Russian oligarch or somebody like that who's got so much money, then I think you would sort of say, listen, that's my gift to the world, the cure for breast cancer. That would be my gif- That would be your legacy. You know, what was this person famous for? They were famous because they gave the world... That that hope for all those people who suffer. You've read stories about people who've had their breasts removed because they're worried about breast cancer and it's in the family. It's I mean it's terribly complicated, terribly complicated. The idea, as far as I'm concerned, that you can have a drug that does that is just nothing short of a miracle. I know because I take lots of drugs every day. How they work independently, I don't know. How they work independently, I've got no idea, but I take a combination of drugs in the morning, and I do my insulin, and I take all my other things. But yet, if you've got cancer, you know, it can get people down. The chemo, the stuff like that, it just wears you out. This woman said yesterday, I'm tired, but she said I'm alive, and I want to be alive for my daughter. I think it's psychosomatic. I was talking to Paul Young the other day, because uh, we're going to be running him for In Conversation this weekend... It's very... It's it's ever such a nice chap, ever such a nice... And he's heading up into his 60s, heading up into his 60th birthday. I know it doesn't... I still find it amazing. You know, it still looks roughly the same, as far as I'm concerned, apart from a few sort of grey bits and white bits. And uh, we were talking about cancer, and I said, I don't know anything about it. I know nothing about it. Presumably, we've all got it, and it stays in your body until something triggers it off, because it's not airborne, is it? You don't sort of breathe it in. You can't catch it from somebody. You can't catch cancer. And, uh, and I've got lots of people who listen to this programme who were in various stages of, of um, recovery and uh, some people have, have managed to get through it and done, done very well with it. Some people suffer badly, some people don't get on with, with chemo at all and, uh, and they get, you know, really down with it. And That's why this program's here at this time of the morning. The simple answer being that you need something to take your mind off it, which is good news. Quick time check for you just in case you're worried, 4.15. This is LBC. Fine dining is truly a... Morning, everybody. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. Thank you to, uh, to Junior up there in Glasgow. He, he helps out. He goes to a, a turtle rehabilitation centre in Turkey, which is run by volunteers and donations, and uh, he builds these GPS tracking units. Remember they had a break-in a short while ago and people destroyed them and also the, he's had to rebuild them because he's going back out there again. And uh, he sent me a nice little video of a loggerhead turtle attacked last year by fishermen because turtles eat fish and, of course, the fishermen want to get rid of the turtles. And uh, she's about 50 years old, called Hamdi, and so she's made a full recovery. And so then they release them back into the ocean again and he's going to go over there in 10 days' time. Now, if anybody knows about, uh, about cancers... Junior can tell you all about that. He's been through more more chemo than you can shake a stick at, ladies and gentlemen. Been through more chemo. Uh, the reason I'm probably not reading out your texts and emails at the moment uh, is the fact that we don't actually. In fact, we we can't even get the uh, the text messages up, can we? Because it obviously presumably uses the internet, so we can't we can't do that either. So, but bear with us because as soon as it comes back on again, we'll be happy bunnies and we go, yeah, the world is wonderful. But as I say, it's the day before paydays. So who cares? You know, I'm sure I can get through a programme without having to worry about the internet or anything else. Uh, Camilla's brother, uh, this is Mark Shand, who died yesterday in New York, apparently fell of something. He, he was out at a club and he, and he fell. And uh, somebody phoned me to say, oh, he's, he's in hospital, he's very ill. Well, he's died. And so they're, they're talking about that and they're talking about the people he's hung around. Guess who are the people he hangs around with? Nancy DeLolio and, um... All oh, right. Is that the Duke and Duchess of... You're a bit bored with them now, aren't you? You're a bit bored with them being in Australia. To be honest with you, I mean, I don't quite get why they're there. Are we trying to build cultural relations with Australia or something? Because it's... As far as I see, they're on a holiday where they get loads of gifts. Loads and loads of gifts for for them and for... Not surprised they would have to live in big houses because you get all these gifts given to you and they've been out to Ayres Rock... They got the Aborigine dance out there. Had all the usual tourist things. Only they actually get it, and then he has to make a speech about you know, how wonderful it is, and uh, it's lovely being here. And baby George is—I think for about the second night he's not been out. I hope he's all right. And so they then make this this speech, and I suppose he's there as a representative of the Queen. You know, Las Vegas gets Harry, Australia get William and his wife, and she's probably heard this speech a million times. He's actually getting really quite quite good at doing speeches. It's all written, and I'm assuming it's written for them. So all he has to do is just stand up there and read big words, and then go, you know, it's great. My my wife and I are really enjoying it. It's a little bit hot for us, of course, because we come from the United Kingdom, where it isn't very hot. In fact, it's quite cold at times. I've got a lovely house for you. Lovely house. This one, if I give you the clue, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Yes, this is Tickeridge Mill. Tickeridge Mill is up for sale. And what is it? It is the former home of Vivian Lee. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, It's up for sale for three and a half million, but it's it's lovely. Uh, She bought it in 1961 for 20,000 quid. So it's gone up 175 times. Um, Her ashes are scattered uh, in the waters next to the former mill. Uh, She died in 1967, aged 53. Only 53, Vivian. I didn't know that. And it's early 17th century. Her stamp is everywhere, uh, from the bedroom, a beloved garden. It's its absolutely beautiful, actually. She bought it after divorcing Laurence Olivier. Uh, there's a lady called Honor Hoggins, who's lived at the mill with her husband, Ken, since 2005. And um, it's lovely. It's absolutely beautiful. So lots of people have been there. John Gielgud, Winston Churchill, many illustrious owners it has had including Lord Snowden's father, Sir Ronald Armstrong Jones. But it's ever so pretty. Three and a half million. Do you know, if I had three and a half million, I'd probably go and, probably go and buy it, you know, just to say that, you know, it would be a, a fun house because I love a house that's got a history. I love a house that's actually got, you know, somebody famous who used to live in it because that's always interesting, isn't it? Guess who burst into tears the other day? Everybody does it. There's always an emotional side to everything and this time it's a surprise, surprise. Andy Murray. He was granted the freedom of Stirling, and he was so overcome with emotion, he he almost breaks down, because it's terribly emotional. His voice cracked, and he said, I'm going to keep this very short, because there's a good chance I shall get emotional. And he says, I think everyone knows I'm extremely proud of where I come from. To get this honour means a lot. So thanks to everyone for coming, and I apologise for this behaviour. And he then uh, signed autographs and everything. It's very emotional, that. Very emotional. So well done to him. He's been given the freedom of the city. I don't know how long you get it for. I was watching one of these um, DVDs the other day on um, sort of the Pathé news reels, which is which is lovely. And you look at the people of the time, they have lots of artists who I'd never heard of. And then it came to Danny Kay, who arrived in this country and then did the Palladium. First you put your left leg right on... And, it was, and that was good. And so I was watching that, and I got quite captivated by the whole thing, thinking, in those days, if you were British and a big Hollywood star came over, like, wow, big Hollywood star, Danny Kay, who sang and danced and, you know, played with... And just, they have an effortless way about them, the Hollywood stars, because I suppose they don't have, you know, anything to sort of match up to it. And when you get that much adulation, and they got all sorts of adulation... But, they, but the journalists, the funny thing is, the, the journalists at the time were so polite... You know, so are you enjoying being back in the country? I'm very much being enjoying back in the country. And then we've got Judy Garland and we've got a whole whole spate of people who've been released by the studios to come over here and uh, and play at the Palladium and around the country, which is lovely, isn't it? Where's the grandest hotel in the in the world? It's apparently the Paris Ritz. The Paris Ritz is the most glamorous hotel in the world. I thought it would be something in Dubai. I thought Dubai would have uh, the Burj Al Arab, isn't it? Seven stars. I mean, is it, I mean, how do you get seven stars? How do you ever get seven stars? I mean, that must be some that must be some place. Everybody goes to Dubai. I've never been. It's never interested me. Did you stay there? Oh wow! Were well, you a guest of somebody? Did somebody? You paid a lot of money for it. Which is the hotel? There is one in Dubai which has got a huge aquarium that runs up. Is that the Atlantis? You stay there too. Spent a lot of time in Dubai, haven't you? Do you have another job you want to tell me about? I'm not too sure. Yes, and that, does that run up the whole building, this aquarium? So it's... Right. Oh, right, you go down into a pool of sharks. I bet the sharks... Oh, right. Oh, my goodness for that, I was going to say. Sharks must be, like, you know, sitting there. The, the other day we had fire in, uh, in that safari park. The lions just sat there waiting for the people to be toasted so they could have some cooked meat, which would be quite nice. Um, relatives begging for a new probe into the jet hijack. This is uh, MH370. They think they've pow- found a piece of of metal from it. I don't think they have at all. I really don't think they have. I know that they, they would like to think that, but I, I think this thing's just vanished. I seriously think it's like the Mari Celeste. There's a void somewhere, and things go in there, and then they just disappear. Because that's what this thing has, has done now. And uh, they need, so says the Malaysian Transport Minister, to, to regroup... And uh, re strategise everything to try and work out where they are. Because at the moment, they're like headless chickens. They've got no idea. Somewhere there is an aircraft. Somewhere there is an aircraft. I do not believe that it has blown up, you know, and destroyed everything. I just don't believe that's possible. There would be bits of debris, there would be seats, there would be luggage, there would be clothing, there would be seat belts, there would be something. You wouldn't, you know, there would have to be enough explosives on that plane to reduce it to smithereens and put it through a liquidiser. So I think it's highly unlikely. So somewhere there is a plane either sitting at the bottom of an ocean or I think probably sitting, you know, in a remote part of a jungle somewhere like that. But I mean, it's so big. They've got no idea where they're looking. They've got no idea. So we've sent ships out there. God knows what that's cost. Small fortune, I would think. And we've, and we've sent people out there. and We've sent the little the little submersibles down there and they found nothing. Mainly because they can't go low enough. They can only go so far down. We've sent submarines out there. I don't know what that that produced. Probably nothing, I'm afraid. And so we're still as much in the dark as we were before. I think I might even subscribe to the fact that an alien spacecraft has taken the thing up there. As far-fetched as it seems, it's about the most likely we've got so far, because we've got nothing at all. Apparently, if you want to forge a successful career, have a drink with the boss after work apparently it's the best way having a glass together signals to an employer that a new recruit is a cooperative and productive partner exactly the message that most people try and get over on their CV and i was watching this call center program a little bit of it i can't bear it i can't stand it it's a, it's a, you know the people who work in it they're they're obviously flogging something i don't know what they're flogging i can't remember but they've got a bloke called nev who seems to run it i mean he's he's quite clearly the world's worst actress because i mean some of his acting is almost Pathetically poor, I'm afraid. But um, they have to get 15 leads a week. And they've got a woman in there at the moment. Oh, Nev, incidentally, has been offered pantomime in Wales. So all of a sudden, it's another celebrity on the market. He came down the other He was a bit boring on the one show. In fact, he was actually quite boring. So I'm, I'm assuming the whole programme is a bit staged. But anyway, so there they are in the call centre. And they, they monitor every employee every week. Every employee is monitored as to whether or not they've got leads and they managed to generate some business. And they've got a lady in there. She might be called Margaret, she might not be. She's fairly old, her husband's quite ill, and she's not doing very well with the lead. She's got that uh, that phone manner, which, hello, how are you? And they do this kind of thing. All It's just a call centre. They're just flogging you, some old tat. I don't know what it is. And so Margaret's there, and he looks at her sort of track record, and Margaret's not doing very well. And he said, he said every company should have somebody like Margaret. She, you know, she dispenses sweets, she's got bonhomie, she's very friendly, she's lovely, she's not. But he said, if somebody doesn't generate business, that's what we're in the business of. We're in the business of generating business. And she doesn't. He said, so people have to go. He said, much as though you like people. He said, it doesn't come down to like. It's whether they can do the job. You know, I remember saying to my boss years and years and years ago, I said, "Um," I said, well, what happened if all of a sudden my audience dropped away? He said, well, then we'd have to rethink it. I said, would would that be a difficult decision? He said, it'd be a terribly difficult decision. He said, but we're in the business of radio. We're in the business of getting an audience. So if you have somebody on side who isn't getting an audience, no matter how nice they are, then they're they're not much use to you. You know, nobody wants nice people. Well, you do want nice people, but you want people who are going to generate an audience. And that's how it works across the board. It works on television, on radio, in business, in sales teams. it, It just covers everything. So if somebody's on television and their programme doesn't rate, no matter how much publicity you give them, you've got to get rid of them. You get rid of them. Why would you have somebody who might be a lovely person? I've had you know agents say to me before, certain agents about a client, you know, that I've sort of said, oh, God, they're rubbish. And they've said, no, they're a really nice person. I said, I'm not disputing whether they're a nice person. It's the fact that they cannot do the job for which they're being paid a lot of money. And that way you have to get rid of them. And I know quite a number of people who've been dropped from on high... And, in fact, Ollie was talking about people who've been dropped before. I got dropped once, only once, in my entire career. Coming up, just 9% of us have super-fast broadband, despite 73% of us having access to it. LBC Time, 4.30. With the latest headlines, Alex Stevanovich. Scotland Yard says 40 Syria-related arrests were made in the... So there you go. So if you want to, if you want to move on in life, you, uh, you have to uh, win the boss over and buy him drinks. I just think being a good radio presenter is kind of enough. I think they, you've kind of forged the barriers. But it's very interesting because when Ollie was talking about have you ever lost your job? And I remember the day that LBC got taken over by another company and they decided to have a clear out. And so 24 presenters. And I can remember the day very distinctly because everybody got called in one by one and it started the same. Um, we'd like to thank you very much indeed for you know everything you've done. But sadly, there is no place for you in the new company. And I remember sitting there kind of numb really, a little bit numb. When you've been somewhere a long while, it, you just, you, you don't become complacent. You don't take it for granted. But it's just a very odd thing because all sorts of things go through your mind. And I remember thinking, gosh, what do I do now? And then I thought, no, wait a minute. I'm good enough to get a job anywhere. I'm abs- I'm that good enough. I'm that confident that I could get something else. So anyway, so it, it sort of finishes. And what they do is they restaff the company. Unfortunately, what they fail to understand because they were a bit stupid is the fact that you've always got to have a hard core of presenters who pull an audience Then you, around them, it's like having a box of chocolates, you put your really good ones in the middle, and then you fill up with the sort of the naffer ones around the outside, for want of a better description. So anyway, so we we all sort of disappear off, and there was me and loads of other people, and I got a job within a month on another radio station. Which actually, as it turned out, was, uh, was not sort of the job that I was going to end up doing, because I ended up coming back to LBC. So I'd been with LBC, then I left to go to this other radio station, and it was all a bit higgledy piggledy It was a brand-new station starting, and what they wanted me for was because uh, I can pull a predominantly female audience. I can pull a female audience, and that's what they want. That, that's a good audience to get, they, and they fitted into the right profile. So they called me down for a chat, and uh, and they, they didn't actually offer me a job. They just sort of said, oh, it pays this much, and I went, OK, right. I'm sort of sitting there, and at the end I said... I'm sorry, have you just offered me a job? Because there was no sort of specific. And she went. Oh, I thought I made that clear. I said, No, no, not at all. So I thought that was quite nice. So I got the job. And anyway, then I get a phone call back from LBC because this time it had changed hands again. And uh, one of the girls said, "Listen, we're, we're we're going to do a quiz. Would you like to do a quiz for us?" I'm like, No, I'm not doing a quiz. So I came back to do this quiz. Still, still bearing in mind, I was at the other place, but I hadn't actually. It hadn't opened. So they were doing all the preliminaries, like, you know, dusting desks and things like that and sort of trying to work out who was doing what. And so I came back to do the quiz. Then somebody else moved into the other station. Uh, they, they put in a new boss because the original boss fell very ill. And so they put in a new boss. And then she said, I remember distinctly, she said to me, she said, are you doing a quiz at LBC? So I said, why not? Of course, loads of people work different places if you're freelance. And she said, I think it's a conflict of interest. And I went, oh. And she said, so I'm going to, I'm going to let you go. Okay, fine. I didn't like her anyway. Nasty little dwarf, and so uh, and so. I ended up coming back here, which was to just to do the quiz. And then the new bosses said, um, one of the one of the presenters is is off on holiday next week. Would you would you like to cover for him? So I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I covered the show, and of course as history uh, turns itself on itself, back I came again. I ended up getting rid of this other presenter, and I, I sort of moved into the spot, which was quite nice. And so it remains. But I don't know what, what the secret is of television. You can have the best programme in the world on television with, with the most money thrown at it. You can be the best-looking presenter. You can be the most charismatic, charming. But the programme does not work with, with you, the great British public. You're the people who watch television programmes. The TV critics... Are, are the people who will sort of uh, annihilate something. I mean, I have actually seen people on television, and they, they're they not very good. And I never know why people then say, let's give this person another programme. Sometimes you can try three or four programmes, and they don't work. I don't know at what, what stage you go, listen, they quite clearly, the public are not interested. They're not interested. But that's all people want to do, isn't it? They want to be famous. We're obsessed with this cult of celebrity. We're obsessed, and it can be anybody. It doesn't really make any difference who you are, whether you're off a reality show, or you've slept with a footballer, or you've had a a high-profile life in the newspapers because you caught publicity. And I've seen people... I've seen people doing it. I've seen them at the OK. Uh, I always turn to the back pages. Once you've got rid of all the deadbeats at the front, the carry coke toners and people like that, you turn to the back page and they've got so and so's party this week, and you see the same faces turning up to the parties, and you think it's the likes sort of a pool of deadbeats that you go. Uh, we're having a party with so and so. Do you want to come? And they go, Oh yeah. And they go there. They get their picture taken, and then they go back to their squalid little lifestyle. They don't actually have anything to offer. They're not. They're not interesting enough. I've seen some of the cast of. Uh, The Only Way is Essex, on programmes like Celebrity Juice. Well, they've got nothing to contribute at all because they don't have personalities. They sit there like deadbeats. They're neither funny nor interesting. And if they are funny, it's because we're laughing at them. So when they put Joey Essex on there, we laugh at the sheer stupidity of a so-called adult. Who did I see the other day? He's a comedian, and I think his name is Russell somebody, and he was on a programme, and he's got sort of spiky hair at the front. He used to have a white bit in it. And I can't remember what his name is. It's no good you telling me because I'm not actually sure that you can actually get through to us at the moment. I think sometimes some of the... uh, Oh, wait a minute. Some of the things are getting through a little bit on the text. Uh, we got to 4 to 4.30 for the text. Now they've gone again. So that's good. I'll read those in a sec. But it's uh, this Russell somebody, whatever it was, he was on this programme with uh, Jimmy Carr and he didn't say anything. For ten minutes he said not one thing. And I remember looking at him thinking, well, you're just not funny, are you? You're out of your depth. He was on with Jason Manford and a few other people who unfortunately are fairly loud. And if you're on a panel with them, you kind of say, I think I'll do another show where I can sort of... Jump. And he didn't say anything, this bloke. Russell somebody. Russell somebody. Russell somebody. Or well, somebody russ I don't know. Anyway, whatever it was, he was uh, he was on there. And I remember thinking, you don't do anything. And so they put people from reality shows on. You expect them to have a personality because they haven't. It's like footballers. You know, you all know how dumb footballers are. You can't ask them any questions because they don't know anything. All they know is, a, and you kick a ball and it goes in there and they give you £300,000 a week. Have you tried having a conversation with Wayne Rooney? It doesn't work. Have you watched David Beckham? He just. He's a little bit like that. It's a little. He's getting a little bit better. He can actually manage to go out now and actually string two words together. But I mean, in the early days, she spoke for him. He never said a word. Perhaps they've given him lessons or something like that. We found another benefits cheat, which always pleases me in the morning. I'll tell you about her in a uh, moment. Um, somebody says your stream is down. Yes, it's it's uh, the uh, the um, the LBC app isn't streaming at the moment. So bear with us. Bear with us. So, engineering of work. Even as we speak, there are men in high places who are sorting it out. And they're rushing around the building. Like, well, I've got to do it all, get it all sorted out this morning. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. It's nice to know how many people are missing the programme at the moment. I, of course, am still here, as usual. And you could probably pick it up on the podcast a little bit later on. Uh, somebody else says, um, oh, these are some that came into Oliver. I was amazed at Primark's. Shares had gone up, but there again, more of you are shopping there. Why? Because it's cheap. It's cheap. That's why you shop there. You don't shop there for the quality. Nobody ever says I'm going to Primark for quality. You're going there because it's cheap, and that's why. And lots of people go there, and you can get a whole, a whole bag of stuff for like you know threepence, and that's why people go to Primark. You have to, you know, you, you, you go to Primark, and uh, and you sort of you look at the people going in there, and you think I wouldn't buy anything in this shop. It doesn't appeal to me. But the people are going there because it's cheap. And if it's cheap, then um, and that's why you go there, because you can get loads and loads of clothes for very little money. But they don't last as long. They don't last as long, which is a shame. 84850 steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, Fern, you liked, says Noreen. Yes, I love the allotment programme she's on. I think you'd like it. Yes, and uh, John Warrington is uh, born voyaging. He's off on a short holiday today. Lucky old John. Honestly, spends his life on holidays, that boy. He really does. Noreen spends most of her time up and down stairs, falling down them, mainly. And John goes and does his holidays, which which, which he likes. It would help, actually, as he's, a, he's got a travel agency. So here is another benefit fraudster, and her name's Tracy Johnson. We told you about this one. Um, she claimed, lying old, wizened old bag that she is, that she had a severe fear of open spaces. I can't go out. lying old trollop, honestly. Anyway, it turns out she was working as a tour guide in Argentina. And uh, so here she is. Her agoraphobia left her a prisoner in her own home, but she was living it up in a variety of exotic locations. She comes from Froome in Somerset, was jailed for a year at Merthyr Tidville Crown Court, found guilty of falsely claiming 48 grands worth. I'd be round there, I'd have the clothes off her back. I'm sick to death of these old fraudsters. who are cheating you. There's another one in the paper today. She's cheated it. She's paying it back at ten quid a week. But, of course, as she's on benefits, because the fat, lazy, slovenly old cow can't work, you're paying for it. She's actually paying for her benefit fraud out of the benefit. It's hilarious. Anyway, uh, this, this old bag here, Tracy Johnson, and I tell you, if ever I bumped into you, love, I'd be egging you. Oh, I tell you, I'd be holding you face down in the mud. All she's paid back... It's six hundred pounds, and just to make you feel really sick, she ain't paying back any more. Why? Because she's spent it. Do you know? If anybody bumps into this old bag out there, I'm expecting to throw rotten vegetables at her. Really make this woman. If you live next door to her, oh blimey, poor you, poor you. Forty-eight grand in benefits, and what is the what is the sentence? A year. She'll be out in a few months. She'll be out in a few months. Do you know, it's it's just it beggars belief, doesn't it? It's so easy in this country to get for. In fact, the other fraudster, the other one who think I got roughly the same amount of money, um, uh, said uh, it's so easy to do. I thought, of course it is. Of course it's easy to do. That's why they do it. But they don't have to pay it back. They don't have to pay it back because they haven't got it anymore. Well, I'd be ra- I'd be stripping their house out. So when they go back, they've got nothing there. Wait, where's all the stuff in my house gone? Well, we've taken it back, you thieving old midget. That's why it's gone. You know, and then you read about, you know, Stephen's story, the teenager, terminally ill, Stephen's son, 19 now. who was diagnosed when he was 17. He's going, you know, in six months' time, this boy could be dead. And these benefit fraudsters, this, this filth that we've got, this low life, people in this country who can't be bothered to work, like that old bag the other week, who hasn't worked in 20 years! 20 years! My God, what little self-respect they must have for themselves. And they actually have children. What an embarrassment. Do your parents work? No, she's a benefit fraudster. Fantastic. How lucky are you? It's ghastly, isn't it, really? Um, there's also a, a woman here who felt that her spacious bungalow was too cluttered, so she built a little tiny home. And uh, she lives in that. Because you can't clutter up a little tiny home. And it's a real-life doll's house. You sometimes wonder... I do like these programmes on the decluttering. I'm always fascinated. Whenever the house doctor goes round, she, um, she... <laughs> Sorry, I'm reading all these texts back from other people in the building. Well, I'm not replying to them. I don't know. Does he think I'm replying to this? Bless his heart. You can ask him anything now. Ask him anything. Because the, the, the internet's gone down in the building. I forgot where I was going now, actually. Anyway, so, uh, so other stories of the papers for today. So you get this this boy who's made a million pounds. He's, he's terminally ill. And he's, he's, he's generated a million pounds, mainly because a lot of people have, have retweeted, including Jason Manford. You remember Dirty Boy Jason, don't you? <laughs> I, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, sometimes I like Jason Manford. Other times I think, what a complete prat you are. And then other times I think, no, nah, I don't think I like you. And Then I think, yeah, I do like you. I'm very fickle, very fickle with so-called celebrities. I think he's actually quite funny. He was certainly funnier than this other bloke on the television the other day. He never said a word on these quiz shows. But it, it was like watching a rerun of Celebrity Juice when they put some people from The Only Way is Essex who just think you have to turn up and go, oh, and like that. They're, all a bit, they're a bit simple. It's, and I just don't know... I just don't know where they see their lives going. It's like, you look at poor Arge. He's not funny. He can't contribute anything because he doesn't have any funny showbiz stories. He doesn't have anything at all. He has nothing to contribute apart from the fact that he had sex with Gemma Collins in a cupboard. I mean, you'd keep that quiet for people lest they laugh at you. And he went out with Lydia Dim, and he's been out with Amy Childs. (sighs) So the fat boy pulls. Hilarious, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, no personality. Great shame. Coming up after the break, think you tip well. Justin Timberlake left how much behind for a nightclub waitress in Cologne? It'll make you feel a bit sick, actually. This is LBC. Time now, quarter to five. This is LBC. BC. Every twelve minutes to five. This is what everybody listens to, and uh, shortly throughout the entire country. In London, we are number one, as they say. It's nice to have your uh, your company. Apparently, Primark prices have gone up, but but uh, the quality is still the same old rubbish. I think it's but, but people go there. You're not going there for quality. You're going there because it's cheap. That's that's what you know. That's what you go there for. You're not going there for sort of super quality. You got super quality? You go to Selfridges or Harrods or somewhere like that. I love it. We were talking the the morning about airheads, and uh, Superdrug had a 50th birthday party. Hilarious. Superdrug, uh, a 50th birthday party. And who do they manage to get? That well-known raconteur, wit and socialite, Lauren Pope. (laughs) Not only do you get Lauren Pope dragging herself up, drag being the operative word, but uh, speaking to the Mail Online, Lauren said... It was lovely, because she's got that kind of voice, bumping into some familiar towy faces. I know, with a ten-ton truck, would be quite good. Especially Lauren Goodger and Lydia. This is Lydia Dim, who's back filming again, because a bit cold on the outside world. bit cold on the outside world. Poor old Lauren Poppy. We don't know what she does, actually. She's had her boobs done and everything else, like indeed they all have. But imagine bumping into Lauren Goodger. <sighs> You'd think you were at such a low-rent party, wouldn't you? I'm sorry, who else is here? Are there any A-list people? Have oh, we got Louisa Zisman? <laughs> yeah, right. And who else? Lauren Goodyear. Lauren who? She's not still dragging her fat carcass around, is she? And Lydia Dim. Oh, my God. What's she... I'm a businesswoman. Businesswoman, she wrote to me. I'm a businesswoman. Of course you are, love. In your mind. In your mind. But anyway, and also they had somebody else. I don't know who else it was there, but... And they go, and as usual, she looked gorgeous. Lauren Pope just looks like the oldest thing you've ever seen in the entire world. In fact, actually half of Towie are looking a little bit desperately sad at the moment. They need to sort of inject some younger people into it. Because the old mingers they've got on there at the moment... I mean, Nanny Pat, still looking like a blooming road map of the Sahara Desert. And then there's, uh, then there's the Wright family. Oh, they don't bear any examination at all. The mother's vile. Absolutely vile. I mean, I'm warming to Jessica. Only because she's sort of she's trying to stay loyal to her boyfriend. And then you've got the ghastly Elliot Wright, who's the biggest drip under the sun. Old man hangs around with young people. Hello? Hello? Saddle alert. Guess what's coming up for sale? I thought I might. I thought I might buy it because it's going to go for about seventeen grand, and it's a piece of iconic film memorabilia. It is the hat worn by John Wayne in a number. I think he wore it in uh, Comanchero. He wore it in El Dorado. I think about five films. He wore this film in uh, Sons of Katie Elder and The Undefeated. Sons of Katie Elder, great film. And so they record. Oh, the starting price is seventeen thousand. Um, he featured in around 170 movies, John Wayne. He was the archetypal, you know, big butcher know, get off your horse and drink your milk. But he wasn't like that at all, actually. But he gave it to his stunt double, Chuck Roberson, with whom he worked for more than 30 years out of a 50-year career. Uh, the sale is next Tuesday. Laura Tamer, auction manager at the Nate D. Sanders, says, the hat not only has cinematic value, but personal value to it. But what do you do with it? It's all right to buy these things. But then, if if you bought it, do you then put it on your head and go around wearing it? People say, "What's that?" And you get it's John Wayne's hat. And they go, "Yeah, of course it is." Or do you put it in a museum? I don't. I don't know. Starts at seventy. I reckon it's going to go for a bit. Let's have a guess, shall we? Let's see who's right on this one. I'm generally not wrong. So, John Wayne's hat worn in the Sons of Katie Elder, Comanchero, quite a number of his big films. Fifty-two thousand pounds. £52,000. I just had a figure that came into my mind. I'm slightly psychic this morning. So £52,000 for that uh, hat. It'll probably be purchased, they say, either by a, a fan or an institution. See, if it's an institution and if two people want it, it can absolutely go anywhere. If two people want something at an auction, then, you know, the sky could be the limit, which I like. I like the idea that you can buy movie memorabilia. I have to laugh every time I open up The Express because it's owned by Richard Desmond and he always plugs his own magazine, so Kerry Coke Toner, airbrushed to hell, droning on about her dreary existence with her fiancé... They've all got fiancés, haven't they? And uh, this is somebody called George. George's got a bit of history, I'm afraid. But anyway, we both nearly died. But, of course, luckily, we made it through to OK magazine. Oh, hallelujah. Well done, you. As usual, the most useless person in uh, roughly the entire United Kingdom and anywhere else, for that matter, still droning on about her boring life. Very tedious. Uh, The Mail today, Camilla devastated as brother dies in fall. This is her younger brother, Mark Shand who is uh, well-known to everybody in the media. The, the last time we heard of Mark Shand, you'll remember, he was linked with that ghastly uh, Nancy Delusional. And he was uh, on there because I think he was holding her up. And, of course, I think, I mean, she'll just hang around with anybody who's famous because she, uh, she craves that sort of publicity. For a woman with no talent at all, I find it quite hilarious, but she's in the in the papers. Uh, he also has uh, hung around with Jerry Hall and Murray Helvin. And um, he goes to society weddings. He's hung around with... Um, I think Sarah Ferguson, but there again, who hasn 't hung around with Sarah Ferguson uh, there 's also the uh, the wireless device that can charge your phone from 15 feet away, so I 'm assuming it 's charging your phone from 15 feet away it 's charging everybody else 's phone from 15 feet away. Uh, it's, I mean it 's a flat smartphone battery. Um, they say if it was topped up while the mobile's in your pocket, how good would that be? And they say it can charge 40 phones at the same time. It could lead to a future, says the inventor Chun Rim, without tangled charge wires and phones that are powered up as we walk around. I've never had a tangled wire charging up my phone. Actually, somebody in the office, Alex Domanovich, has just got a new iPhone. Well, he's got not a clue about it. I mean, I think he's managed to turn it on, and I think that that surprised him. So he's sitting there looking at it, and every five minutes he's speaking to my producer, Paul, going, what do you do with this bit? Of course, he's as much in the dark as well. It's like the blind leading the blind at the moment. I mean, he's got, no, do I download this app? Do I go for that? Which apps do I go for? The answer is you go for the free ones. But it depends, and you put your music on it. What you must do with your iPhone, what you must do with your iPhone, if you've bought an iPhone, you must sync it to your computer... You put it in the computer and you can charge it up on there and you sync it and you link up to iCloud. So if you lose your phone, which people do... People lose them, people steal them. You can go and get another phone, plug it into your computer, and it will download all your information. That's the advice I give to everybody. Always, always back it up. Go onto the computer, and it just, can ping, up comes the page. It's very easy, and it say, this is say, this is your iPhone. It'll have the number on it. It will have everything. It'll tell you how much storage you've got. So plug it in, and it will charge it up. And I do that practically every couple... Well, I charge it up every day, quite clearly. And I have a charger in the car. And then I also plug it in and I upgrade my iCloud and everything else. So every time something new at home comes onto the computer, it arrives on my telephone. It's as simple as that. And it's very simple. So I get my mail on here. I've got my Twitter account on here, my phone calls, my messages, everything. Very, very easy. And you can just go into. I've just realised, actually, I'm in settings, aren't I? I'm... I'm... Because every time I'm in this building, I'm linked into this building's Wi-Fi, so it downloads everything for me. So that's my that's my advice to people. Back up. One of the girls I know, I won't tell you who she is because she might be listening to the programme, she put her phone down somewhere and somebody picked it up and stole it. And I said, uh, and they, they think they know who it was, it was two people who came into the shop. And uh, they obviously saw it and thought, we'll, we'll nick that, because people steal anything nowadays. People steal anything. It's not screwed down. There's a vicar in the paper yesterday. He had a statue which somebody had given to him of St Francis of Assisi. And somebody stole it. He said, I didn't think about the fact that somebody would actually take it. And I thought, well, that's what people do nowadays. They thieve. Go to the courts. They're full of, 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 the, of the thieving tourists who come over here. You know, you've seen the pictures in the papers of the, of the Roma gypsies who in Paris are looking to fleece tourists every five minutes. I've told you the story of a friend of mine who works within radio who got taken to a cash point by a group of, let's just call them lads, and got fleeced of 250 quid. Average age of the boys? 14. 14. That's how, that's how disgusting and low rent it's got at the moment. So my advice is back everything up. Because I said to this girl who lost the phone, I said, you, you did have everything backed up. She went, no. I said, oh, no. Make sure you back everything up on, on your telephone. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Steve, you were talking about Kate and William's visit Down Under, and I was very impressed that you managed to get the words Australia and culture in the same sentence. I was fairly impressed, Kevin the Miltman, as well. <laughs> I like that idea. I like that idea. Uh, so that's, that's why, yes, Australia and culture. I've never been... I'm not sure if I want to go. I can't quite work out if I want to go to Australia. It's a long flight. I'm okay on long flights. Believe you me, I I don't have too much trouble on long flights. But I I, I don't know. Is there anything there at the end of it that I'm not going to get by watching neighbours? You know, is there any advantage? I mean, are they known for their food in Australia? I don't think so. You know, you don't go, let's go to Australia for some great food. You know, whereas either let's go to Costco for some great ribs. You know, some nice cooked ribs. Oh, I can eat ribs now. We used to do it years ago when I used to come into the studio to do an overnight programme on LBC. Because this is, this, is, this is breakfast, by the way, just in case you're wondering where we are in the day. This is, this is breakfast because London's a 24-hour city and, uh, and it's for people who work all the time. And I used to go and buy three boxes of ribs and bring them in and me and my producer Mandy would sit down and at the end of the show we'd, 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 we'd have the ribs and we'd stick them in the microwave and then we'd take them out at about five in the morning. And we'd sit upstairs and we'd gorge ourselves on, on ribs. <laughs> and to be honest with you, it was the best time to eat ribs in the morning. Because it was just the time that you were so hungry that you could eat them. And they were lovely. They were absolutely delicious. And you came out your fingers were all messy with all the, all the gunk on them. Which was fantastic. Uh, 84850, oh, Steve at lbc.co.uk. At the moment... The internet is down. Things are getting through spasmodically. Occasionally, a text will sort of pop up, and I'm reading them all out as they come in. I'm reading everything out on the programme. So you just have to bear with us. We have have a team, a team of engineers, even as I speak, who are rushing around like headless chickens going, we've got to save the Steve Allen show, we've got to make it work. He's got to have the internet, otherwise how does he speak to the thousands of people? And the answer is that uh, until it's working, we can't, but we'll do our best. Oh, people still complaining about Jamaica Inn. Uh, 800 complaints. About, I mean, I didn't, I didn't watch it, but apparently the... Yeah, it like A lot of people were having trouble hearing it because there was something the matter with the mix on the sound. And uh, unfortunately, 800 people never watched it. About three people watched it. It started off with 198 complaints. And that's, I'm terribly disgusted with the BBC. I don't pay my licence fee, so I can't hear your programmes. Although, to be honest with you, that's sometimes the best way. And then, by that time, it goes onto the internet, and then a few other people who haven't uh, had any contact with anybody for years decide to jump on the bandwagon. Plenty more to come. Your Thursday early morning breakfast. Celebrity Big Brother chiefs apparently want Kelly Brooks' ex-gladiator boyfriend, Tornado. I mean, how camp is that? Tornado. What were you, darling? Tornado. All oh, right, what were you? Gladiator? Really? Of course you were, love. Uh, they want him for Celebrity Big Brother. Strange, actually, because he's neither a celebrity, nor intelligent, as far as I can see. He says he's too famous for it. Oh, dear. Oh, Kelly. I I fear another disaster, love. Weatherspoons in Kent put up the Union Jack instead of St George's flag so as not to offend people. There's a woman suing her neighbour after a pet duck attacked. And a survey finds that traffic wardens, lorry drivers and fast-food staff have the least attractive jobs. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. It's next. On, On LBC... Morning, everybody. Uh, still have no internet, I'm afraid this morning. So, I mean, you can continue sending because I'm assuming that once the the system is up and running again, uh, we will start getting them through. And we get we get them through dribbling at the moment. The the texts are coming through little by little by little. So you just have to just have to bear with us a little bit. Uh, so the Duke's hat is up for sale. Uh, Jamaica Inn. Uh, 800 complaints now which is a little bit of a shame I suppose people have got nothing better to do but if the sound quality is not right then it should have been vetted before and are you one of those people who is now bored witless with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge now we're pretending to be DJs it doesn't get any worse does it why the width of a woman's hips reveal her appetite for sex sorry to mention the S-E-X word at the moment uh, another one here. Oh, it's great. Uh, we seem to be uh, seem to be back with the tech, sort of. And another one here says, "I know somebody who's receiving welfare and inherited 150 grand, and is a right in Melbourne Markets." Well, you shop them. You shop them. There is a there is a, a, a line for shopping people who are who are claiming benefits, and if they've got money in the bank. And you shop them. It's all done totally anonymously. In fact, I can't remember what it... Oh, sorry, I'm just try to read my other things here. I think it's called... Uh, what do they call it? Would it be Benefit Hotline or something like that? I don't know. Benefit Hotline. Let's have a quick check, actually. No, it's not Benefit Hotline. What would they call it? Um, social, social Security Hotline or something like that. It's, it's, it's definitely something where you can phone up and you can shop somebody that you think is, uh, is cheating the system. And I can't remember what the blasted thing is called now. I did have its number because we gave it out to uh, a few people. We did it on air and you can just uh, phone up. Tax and benefits confidential helpline. Lovely. Lovely. Thank you very much indeed. Tax and benefits confidential helpline. And so you just phone up and you can say, I think this person, and then they investigate. You don't have to give your name or anything like that. You could even, you know, withhold your number. It makes no difference at all. No difference. Um, didn't John Wayne thump a woman in one of his films? It's only acting, dear. It's only acting. He didn't really thump a woman. It's a pretend. It's a bit sad, isn't it, when somebody actually thinks that, you know, it was real. Which I find, I find slightly disturbing. It's like people actually believing things you watch on the television are actually, are actually sort of serious. Uh, Claudette, a very happy birthday this morning. Being in your age range, she turns 50, says Crystal, today... She's probably one of the most avid listeners south of the river. Oh, listen, we've got so many people at the moment. We seem to be increasing on a daily basis. And listen, I get new texts and emails every day from people saying "'ve been listening for ages. Never written in. Never written in. So, uh, so there you go. So Claudette, a very happy birthday today, and she'll be uh, listening in this morning on her way to work. Lovely. See, I like people doing that. I like people going off to work. It makes me laugh when sort of people say, oh, you know, I suppose in other parts of the country, if you live in some little tiny village near witness, you know, nothing sort of stirs until eight o'clock in the morning. This is London. This is the capital. You know, if you're in Edinburgh, there'll be people up who work all night in the bakeries, people who work in the service industry, people in hotels getting everything ready. So we don't actually have what we call night shifts in London. It's just called normal. You know, there are loads of people in this building working today. There are some people staggering around Leicester Square going, "Oh, drink. And uh, and we're fine. We just wander out the building, go and get breakfast. And it's lovely. There'll be people getting up to get all the cafes ready to start doing breakfast in all the hotels. They'll be doing it. We have people delivering milk. We have loads of milkmen on this programme. We have postmen. Everybody, because it's it's normal. This is this is you know ten past five, nearly coming up in the morning. This is a normal time. Normal time. People go. It's the middle of the night. You get only if you're on drugs or very stupid. Is it the middle of the night? Normal day for most people. Normal day. Um, eight four eight five zero. Oh, steve at lbc dot uk. Uh, we're, we're we're trying to um, we're trying to get them in, but they're 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 falling a little bit short at the moment. But we are trying. We are trying. I could do the uh, the weather for you today. Would that help you? Would that make you feel a bit better about life Or did the weather? Okay, today, mainly dry after the mist has cleared. I can see clearly now, the rain has gone. And um, it says here, sunny spells this afternoon with a chance of some showers. Oh, God. Why do we get in this country? It's the same every day. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be in Stornoway. You can be in Withensee or Hull and you can be in Birmingham. And again, you get the sunshine and showers every day. You know, what's it going to be like? Take your umbrella. Take your umbrella. Uh, the wind remaining light, it will feel warm. Currently 11 degrees, unless you are in the uh, in the Isles of Skye, in which case it'll be a little bit lower for you. Maximum today 17. The showers will die away tonight, mist and low cloud edging in on a gentle breeze. Doesn't that, like, that sound quite romantic, a gentle breeze? Every time I think of a gentle breeze, I think of sort of net curtains, sort of swaying in the breeze. It probably isn't like that at all, actually. Uh, so the um, the Duke and Duchess are down um, in Australia, and so then they they, they get to meet uh, some people at a music project. I mean, dear God, know they must be so bored with this. OK, here we are with some people who've done painting, and some people are doing a music project. And they go, OK, that's nice. And that's where they go, w- would you like to to give your... You know, so would I would like to do a bit of mixing. Oh, They're royals. What are you doing, taking the Mickey or something out of them? They're royals. They don't do mixing. You know, I mean, they they go around and they shake hands with people. They don't do mixing. They don't know what DJing is. You know, you don't want William to think that he's actually trendy. How can you be trendy wearing a suit that was made in the 1940s? It's, you know, it's just not right. But again, I mean, they're all offering this souvenir thing. I mean, it does it make any difference. And you know me, I'm a big royalist. I've always been a, a big fan of the, of the royals. But I just don't understand what these overseas trips are. If it's the Queen, great. But not dragging some poor little kid round there. Poor little George. How did he cope? You know when you go on the aircraft, you always go deaf, don't you? And you have to swallow a lot, so they give you sweeties and they come round and they give you sweets and stuff like that. I wonder if they did that for him as well. So here's this uh, woman in the paper. She's in all the papers today. Her name is uh, Louise Coulter. She's a benefit fraudster. She's another crook. She's bent as a nine bob note. And the judge, Beverly Lunt, in this particular case, has condemned the ludic- ludicrously low guidelines for sentencing welfare fraudsters after handing one woman a punishment that would see her clear the debt only if she lives to 105. Judging by the size of this fat whale, she's not going to live much longer. Judge Beverly Lunt's comments came after she ordered mother of two Louise Coulter... Oh, lovely. Mummy's a benefit fraudster. Well done there. ...to pay back 40 grand in fraudulent benefits. That's what she'd stolen. She's 38. She doesn't work, of course, because she's obviously too fat. And uh, she's paying it back at £10.95 a week. Riveting, isn't it? Absolutely riveting. It's just a joke. So it's going to take 67 years to repay. I mean, it's it's just amazing. She's also been given 20 weeks in prison, the most severe punishment she could impose under current guidelines. I'd stick her in there for 10 years. I'm sorry, love, you're going to 10 years. And uh, solitary confinement, we don't care about it. You can die in there as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't care less. Anyway... Uh, She could be free after serving ten weeks if she maintains good behaviour. Well, as she's managed to fiddle the benefit, I'm sure she can fiddle the good behaviour, malarkey. It was unlikely that the stolen money would ever be recovered and said the payback scheme was clearly not acting as a deterrent. Of course it isn't. Of course it isn't. Burnley Crown Court heard that she claimed income support, housing and council tax benefits. She signed a form declaring she was single and said she had no income other than child tax credits and nobody checks. Nobody checks it. That's what's so hilarious about this. That you go in there and you put it out, and then they carried out surveillance, because quite clearly somebody shopped her, thank God. And uh, she shared it with her partner, John Wilcox, going to and from the address. His car was usually fined either parked outside or his workplace, a logistics firm. She bragged about buying new widescreen televisions, three-piece sweet gas cooker worth about a grand. When she was caught, she has got two children, eight and 13. Mummy's a fraudster. She pleaded guilty to three counts of dishonesty. Mummy's a fraudster. That'll be embarrassing for the kids at school, won't it? Kids pointing and going, My mummy says I'm not allowed to play with you anymore because your mummy thieves off the state. And my granny died in hospital because there was no money because of your, your filthy mother, Louise Coulter, who stole. So the local hospital didn't get the money that it should have done because £40,000 has gone missing and you've thieved it. What makes you, you know, what, what God given right have you got? To actually, you know, cheat the public and cheat the hospitals out of their money, you low life. But at least the other one's been prosecuted. Tracy Johnson. This is one who claimed she was agrophobic. Another. These people tell blatant lies. I could. Why don't they just put them on a polygraph? Would you go in there to claim benefits? Put people on a polygraph, sort them out straight away, wouldn't it? Just have to go in there and they go. Okay, so you're um, you're, you're, you're what? What's meant? I can't move. There was one woman. They they did her on the television because and now it makes family viewing, and it was one of these programs where. They had this woman, and every time the people went round from welfare, the house was in darkness, the curtains were drawn, and she sat there with dark glasses on in the sitting room because she was playing the part. The moment they'd left and she'd continued getting all this benefit because she couldn't go out, she was in a wheelchair, she had to have the kitchen adapted and ramps put in and all sorts of things, she was working in a local cafe in the park. She just took her little disguise off and went out there. And you think, oh, I'd hang her. I'm sorry. I think hanging is the way forward. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Unbelievable. And here is a, a very funny picture of a lot of elephants lying on the ground. They're not dead. They're drunk. What they've done is, these uh, these elephants um, started eating fallen marula fruit, which had began to ferment on the ground. Now, when eaten in enough quantities, the fruit... Um, has an intoxicating effect. So these elephants were sort of eating it, and then they just keeled over. You know, you don't want to be around when an elephant falls on top of you. Um, It's unlikely to make them drunk. But it's just, it's some sort of toxin. So the elephants go, I really haven't got the strength to do anything at all. Crash. Crash. And now that um, Peach's Geldof has been laid to rest, she's been scattered, they've had the cremation. It's very interesting, because I said on the programme... I think about uh, a couple of weeks ago about the fact that I think that the family were not close at all. I don't think they were close. Because they didn't have a mother to bring them up, the kids were allowed to do what they wanted. And that's why Peaches Geldof embarked on a life of of drugs and being a wild child. She freely admitted she was a wild child. Now she's grown up a bit. But, of course, because of the, uh, the past excesses. But they weren't a close family. Bob Geldof was not around for the children. And that's what's so sad about it, that you think that's what this family needed. You know, the mother who was on heroin, tragic though it might have been, nothing to do with us, but that's why she didn't have the upbringing to which you probably are afforded a privilege. Coming up, there's an estimated 60,000 steroid users in the UK. LBC, it's 5.15. News headlines with Lisa Aziz. Muslim women are being urged to persuade their loved ones not... Ferrari and the team with you at seven this morning. Call Clegg is back as the Deputy Prime Minister takes your calls, plus why are spying cameras on cars becoming so popular? On the latest on the shock death of the Duchess of Cornwall's brother, looking at the paper today, David Wooding, Associate Political Editor of The Sun Sunday, will be in the studio. Hopefully the internet will be up by uh, that time. As I say, there's a team of people working. It seems to have affected the whole, whole building today. These um, spy cameras on cars, I've had one for the last 18 months. 18 months, they're so cheap, and the reason you should have one, and they use them in other countries, America they're very popular, Russia they're very popular, is because there's so many people staging accidents now. And when I say staging, crooks are staging accidents. People who will deliberately get shunted by you, and then they they claim against their car insurance. And uh, it's generally highly sophisticated. So I've got a camera on my car, and you can pay anything from about £9... They're all made in China. Uh, they come in a variety of forms, from £9 up to £60, £70. 60 £70, you get it. And what you get for that on a 60 quid camera or a 30 quid camera is you get a suction pad with a camera, which is pointing out, and a screen at the back, generally about two inches by an inch, in HD. I mean, the miniaturisation is phenomenal. I've got the one on my car at the moment, which has got a camera on the front of the car and on the back of the car. And the screen is split. It's about uh, four inch by inch and a half, the screen. And it's in colour. I mean, you know, for I think I paid something like £45 pounds for it. It said it did come from China. But there again, most of the good technology comes from China. And, well, you you, you, you have a SIM card with it. And so depending on how big the SIM card is determines how much footage you've got on it. And you just download it to your internet. So, in other words, you, you, you do it on there for a journey. And then you just sort of erase it if you don't want to use it if you don't want to use any of that but it's there in case of accidents but as i don't have accidents but it's it's very useful to watch everybody else doing bad driving on the motorway and uh, and they're so cheap just go to amazon type in dash cam and there's, um, i said well we would be doing that this morning if of course we had the internet but we don't and uh, and it's and they're very cheap very cheap but just bearing in mind they all come from china uh, some are sort of from this country, but I think they've always been sent from China, all the ones that I've ever bought. So uh, Nick will be talking about that later on. But I've had one for ages and ages, ages and ages and ages, just so you can prove that there are some really bad drivers. So here is this uh, this man. This is uh, Stephen Sutton. He's dying. Uh, he's got cancer. He was given cancer, um, uh, I think, collateral cancer. Uh, he was uh, very fit. He did athletics. He did everything. It just goes to prove it. it strikes... You know, even the fittest of people. And uh, he once wanted to help people. And he's still alive. And he wanted to raise £10,000 for the Teenage Cancer Trust. Ten grand. That's all he wanted to raise. He thought that would be quite nice. And then it went above £10,000. And then people get retweeting. And he, he put together, as a lot of people do, a bucket list of things they want to do before you die. He wanted to raise £10,000 for the Teenage Cancer Trust. He's done it. In fact, he's done the million. He wanted a skydive for charity. He's done it. He wanted to organise a, a charity party. He's done it. He was going to have a charity waxing and head shave. He hasn't got round to that yet, bless him. Uh, he wanted to write a book. He's done it. He wanted to organise a charity football match. He's done it. He's been busking. He's done the charity gig. He's persuaded local schools to have a get wiggy with it, non-uniform day. He's done charity balls, charity quizzes, uh, hosting a charity Come Dine With Me dinner party for friends. He, he's organised a flash mob. Um, he's it, The thing he hasn't done, he wants to visit a famous waterfall. Now, he's, he's not well enough to go and do that now. As he said on his uh, website, he said, um, that's it. He said, I wanted to prove that there's been a purpose to my short life. And uh, there was a lady called Jilly who tipped the... The balance with her, t- her £10 donation and she uh, she pushed it into the million pounds. Uh, thus getting the message, looks like your wish will come true. But Stephen warned his condition was dire, telling his followers, I think this is just one hurdle too far. He thanked everybody as the donations continued to pour in at £50 a minute and uh, declared that's it from me and thanked everybody. He added two words of advice, enjoy life. He's going to die. There's no two ways about it. Bless his heart. He's raised that million pounds. There's a few things he didn't. He wanted Tim Minchin to write him a song. He didn't get that one. And um, he wanted to visit Machu Picchu. Isn't it funny? That's on my wish list as well. Machu Picchu. He wanted to... I mean, there was a few things. He, he, he did want to find somebody with more surgical scars than him, and he's found that, somebody with more surgical scars. He wanted to get his name into the Guinness World of Records, uh, which he didn't get. He wanted to meet Jimmy Carr. He's done that. He's done his drumming. He's done some public speaking. And there's a few things which he probably won't be able to manage now. But whatever it is, you look at a picture of him and he looks the picture of health because you don't know what goes on inside. And, uh, and so he's got all these, uh, all these problems. And how long he goes, I don't know. It's in the lap of the gods, isn't it, as to how long. But he's raised his million and he's made an impact. He's done something. He's done something with his life, as opposed to internet trolls who don't actually achieve anything. And once you find... I love it when they drag these internet trolls into court. I do laugh. I do laugh, actually, because they're generally quite imbalanced, aren't they? And they're generally a little bit sort of remedial. They're generally not all there in the upstairs department. And you have to laugh at their their sheer rank stupidity. It's like when you see somebody who's done something at school, and they get targeted by internet trolls, and you think... And then you find them. As indeed certain celebrities have actually done in the past. And when you find them, they scream like little girls, don't they? It's hilarious. Uh, so I'm afraid we're still not, uh, still not streaming at the moment. It is the National Benefit Fraud Line hotline. Thank you. A lot of people tell me about the National Benefit Fraud Hotline. And if you suspect somebody is uh, moonlighting but claiming benefits, you just phone them up anonymously and say, so-and-so, so-and-so lives at uh, number 27 Acacia Avenue. Uh, they're working as a as a minicab driver. You You, you can report it. And uh, something could be done. Something could be done. Uh, who's this? Oh, it's Catherine Jenkins wearing a a glittering diamond engagement ring. She's engaged to Andrew uh, Levitas, and they've been uh, they've been dating for a little while. We like Catherine Jenkins. We like Catherine Jenkins a lot. Found another fraudster. This time it's uh, a man here, and with a reality TV star he's pictured called Layla Flaherty. Who's she? Layla Flaherty. I'm looking at a picture of her. I don't know who she is, apart from a bit drunk by the look of that. Le- we can't even check it out, can we? We can't check it out on the internet. Doesn't help, does it, really? <laughs> Never mind. Uh, going up, going to the top of a skyscraper in a lift would normally take enough time for polite small talk. However, if you take the elevator at one of China's newest buildings, it would barely give you the chance for a to hello. The CTF finance centre in the city of Guangzhou is to get the world's fastest lift. It travels at 45 miles an hour. That sounds like a funfair ride to me. Apparently it covers 94 five floors in 43 seconds. 95 floors in 40... I think you need oxygen for that one, wouldn't you? It beats the current lift record holder in Taiwan's Taipei 101 building, which can reach 38 miles an hour, and it makes the 13.5 miles an hour lift at London's shard look positively sluggish. Yes, it's the, it It isn't so much the lift going up, it's the lift coming down that worries me. And that's why it's the funfair ride, isn't it? It's that mentality of a funfair ride, that you get on something and all of a sudden your body is treated to things which it's never, never, ever had before, I'm afraid. I don't know. I don't know. Would you want to go on a lift that's that fast? Yeah. If you go to the Empire State Building, you can't get all the way to the top on the one lift. You get off halfway and you get on another lift and that takes you the, the final bit. But that's a bit... Oh, I felt quite queasy going up there. Quite queasy. Uh, Quite queasy going to the top of St Paul's Cathedral. Because you go and stand on the little wedding cake bit at the top. There's hardly any room and people have sort of edge round you, so it's a great way to meet somebody. Um, A study says schools are even more anarchic than we thought. And they've they've, they've got a teacher here. He says teachers would be terrored to make them resign. Aged 11, many in my class, he says, could barely read... He says, one 12-year-old girl still gives me nightmares. They're just disgusting, aren't they? But then it's, it's not disgusting children, it's disgusting parents. It's bad parenting. It's people who've got no idea how to, how to bring up children. And they become, they, they become very, very bad. He's known as Squeaky Clean. Cliff Richards in all the, in all the papers again. What for this time? He flouted etiquette when he queue-jumped at the American Embassy in London's Mayfair, according to uh, one column in the Mail today. The 73-year-old singer marched to the front of the line of visa-seekers, prompting disapproving tut-tuts all round. My girl in the queue uh, says here, he just waltzed to the front of everybody. He'll be throwing televisions out of rooms next. I don't think so. A spokesman says Sir Cliff had an appointment at eight a.m. It was a VIP appointment, which is why he walked past everybody in the queue. You don't seriously expect Clifford is going to stand there in a queue with common people? Goodness sake, honestly, he's not going to do things like that. He's a he's a he's a VIP. They get different treatment. It's like in you know in restaurants. Hello, this way, please, sir. This way. Come and have your, your regular table, Mister Allen. You know that kind of stuff. You know, you don't, I don't queue. Queue. I can't remember the last time I queued for. I'm sorry, it's a piece of rope outside a club. I don't go there. Why would you want to go there? So stand there waiting to be shepherded around. No, thank you. Coming up, you can pay £33,000 to get married, 695 feet in the air in Dubai, seven-star Burj, Burj Al Arab helipad. That's not easy to say. It's LBC. It's 5.30. With the latest headlines, Lisa Aziz. Muslim women are being urged to persuade their loved ones not to go to Syria to join the... Love Thursday. Love, love Thursday. Why? Because it's Friday tomorrow, Friday's payday. It's coming to the end of the month, which is fantastic. So just when you've struggled all the way through, now you don't. But however, the struggle goes on for a lot of people. There is a piece in the Daily Mail today, which is what I offered you, offered you as advice. It's the, the headline is, How to Turn a Middle-Class Woman into an Online Gambling Addict. And let's just... Put these names in the frame for you. Listen very carefully to this story because this might be you. Andrew Muir knew his wife Sheila, we've changed the names incidentally, uh, enjoyed the occasional flutter playing online bingo. Lots of people enjoy online bingo. Last year she was thrilled when she won £137. She'd recently been made redundant after a 20 year career in marketing and he thought she deserved a little luck. The gambling website, Kitty Bingo, I've never heard of it, but I'm assuming there's loads of these gambling websites. But this one is Kitty Bingo. Sent several boxes of Thornton's chocolates to the couple's home. He thought little of it. Then they sent a huge chocolate Easter egg. He thought it was standard free gifts sent out to anybody who used the site. Even when the 65-year-old retired financial services worker opened a letter from their bank stating they'd exceeded their account overdraft limit, he decided it must be an error. They'd never gone into the red during their 40-year marriage. The bank told him there was no mistake. And that's when he realised something had gone very, very wrong. He showed his wife the letter. She broke down in tears and confessed that she had spent more than £20,000 on Kitty Bingo. Sheila says, I loved my job. Without it, I felt useless and on the scrap heap. It sounds stupid, but I was at home alone and was desperately looking for a way of making some money. I won at first... And when I started to lose, I played again to try to make the money back. Because it was online, it was like Monopoly money. I didn't notice it had gone. Before she'd uh, started playing online bingo, Sheila had only ever gambled once before on a fruit machine, and she won £250. Once she started playing Kitty Bingo, she found herself logging on in bed at night. Her husband was asleep, and she was losing as much as £1,000 a day. Kitty Bingo promised prizes of up to £50,000. Other similar sites target women, including 888 Ladies and Pink Casino. Scores of such websites have strung up, sprung up across the internet. And they put, you know, cupcakes and cartoon animals. and It's gambling. At the end of the day, it's gambling. And you're supposed to gamble responsibly. You see signs in all the windows, but obviously it's very easy to get hooked. Apparently, the chocolates and the eggs were gifts from the website Loyalty Club. A spokesman for Kitty Bingo said, though the website couldn't comment on individual cases, they allow customers to set a daily limit. All they need to do is contact the customer services department. So lots of people do to manage their spending. However, Sheila spent her £20,000 redundancy payout and reached her £6,000 credit card limit. And she is known as the glambler. That's what they call them now. They're ladies who are middle class. They've got a little bit of cash. Well, not if you gamble online, I'm afraid. And uh, they've developed a habit, and they put pictures of kittens up there. It's all all very lovely, but you have to be so careful, because you're playing against a computer. You're playing against a computer online, and sometimes there aren't any winners. I mean, you only have to look at the online roulette, which you get... There's a proliferation in London, and probably the rest of the country as well, where you get people standing, and then they put up a list on the left-hand side of the people who are winning so-and-so, you know... Peter Piper picked two pounds. That's what. That's all they've got, two pounds. You don't see anybody with 10,000 pounds, 100,000 pounds, 98,000. You see none of that. You see little piddly amounts of money, two pounds, 16 pounds, 18 pounds. Well, that's not going to get you rich. Very rarely do you find people get rich through gambling. You get professional gamblers. I was lucky on the National to get first, second and third. You know, and to pick up 300 odd pounds, I thought was a bit of a result. Never happened again, and I, I don't. I don't go into betting shops, maybe because I don't know what's going on. I could just about manage to pick some horses out of a thing if I'm doing the national once a year and that's it. Or I would do the office sweepstake if I happen to be in during the daytime. And that's the only thing I would do. And so, you know, it's an online lesson to people who get hooked. Once you've handed over your credit card details or your bank details, they take the money out. I would have thought that the bank... Should have said something before the £20,000 vanished. Like, wait a minute, you've, you've, £5,000 has gone out in a week. Why did they not write beforehand to the husband? So she reaches that money and then goes six grand on her credit card as well. So £26,000 in debt. She's in her 60s. She probably looks back on it and goes, I was foolish. But it's very, very addictive. And nobody forces you, nobody twists your arm to gamble on these websites. But people love doing it. I see people... Every day. We have a little amusement arcade in Twickenham. I say amusement, there's never more than about three people in it. And it seems to be the same people, but obviously they're funding it because it's been there for donkey's years. It's been there for as many years as I've been in Twickenham. And you see the same person, they'll be standing in there, and then they go outside for a cigarette. And they've all got the techniques on on a fruit machine. You know, you go into the betting shops, there's people always on the fruit machines in there, but they take big money. In this little arcade, I shouldn't imagine they take very much at all, but it must be enough to keep their head above water. But it's the same people that go in there and they stand there just putting money into a machine. That's the clue. It's a machine. It's not like going to a casino. It's not like going to the Hippodrome where you can physically watch the wheel going round. I don't trust anything on the television. I'm a terrible cynic. I'm really absolutely dreadful. I always think that if you're playing online bingo, online, well, they can do anything. They could do anything you like. So I wouldn't, if I were going to play bingo, I would want to go to a a bingo hall. I wouldn't want to do it online, but, I mean, that woman's now £26,000 down. And there's probably a few of you listening this morning going, wait a minute, this rings a kind of a bell with me too. I've also done that. It's very easy to get yourself into debt. I would, I'd be in tears. I'd be in a dreadful state if I was losing, losing money like that. I definitely wouldn't be, definitely wouldn't be doing it. Um, the story of Madeleine McCann makes the front of a few of the papers this morning, mainly Richard Desmond's. So everybody else has decided to uh, leave it, with the exception of the, uh, the Mirror, who've gone for it. They say there's a breakthrough, but then how many times have I read that story out? And now they say they're investigating a sex attack on a 10-year-old British girl in the same resort where Madeleine McCann vanished. It happened two years before Maddie was snatched in Prior de in 2007, and they say it's very significant. So it's taken this long to find another case that was very similar in Praia de Luz against a British girl, and they've only just found it now. Are the Portuguese police the most incompetent nincompoops you've ever heard of? And we've only just discovered it now. Do they not think that when they're investigating the abduction of a child, if indeed that's what it is, they would then go back through the case histories and find other ones? Is this not common sense? Apparently now they say the offence is very significant... And this is one of five new Algarve assaults uncovered by the UK detectives. They really are buffoons over there, the Portuguese police, aren't they? They can't be any more stupid. They really can't be. Uh, the sex assault came two years before Madeleine McCann. The teen reveals she was attacked in at the resort at the age of ten. And so that makes the front page of the Mirror. The Daily Star run with British police are set to make arrests after a major breakthrough. Their chief suspect, a pot-bellied sex fiend with foul body odour, has been linked to 18 sex attacks. What, they've only just discovered this now? So they know who this person is, they know how fat they are, and uh, they say they've been linked to 16 sex attacks, and only now... I mean, you wouldn't want to have an anything in Portugal, would you? You couldn't ask the police for anything at all. They probably don't even know their names. And it was a, a, a girl staying at the same Portuguese resort. What, well, she's only just come forward... I don't know, it gets more bizarre, this case, by the year, doesn't it? And so they've, they've got here, Clarence Mitchell, spokesman for the McCann, says the, the fact that yet new information is coming out since the last appeal shows the scale of work that is yet to be done. Well, it's it's needle in a haystack, isn't it? Absolutely. So they've got a picture of a, of a suspect, and they believe that he, he struck very close to Madeleine's holiday villa. They revealed on a show on the crime watch that they wanted to trace a serial sex attacker. Well, he could be dead by now. Well, these things are years down the line, years down the line. I don't know. They say now 500 members of the public phoned a special hotline for the case. What, seven, eight years on? Blimey, I don't know about you, I can't remember last week very well, let alone, you know, oh, we've had people before, haven't we? So we went on wild goose chases around the world where we sort of picked on some poor innocents because they had a child who might have looked like Madeleine McCann at some time. It's just, it's just going nowhere. I think they're justifying the money that's being spent, saying, well, you know, we, we've got to try it. If you get a lead on something, you've got to go for it. But, I mean, some of this seems a bit... a bit quasi, I don't know, a bit sort of in the wind, I'm afraid. Anyway, uh, other stories of the papers today. This is, um... A cheeky Chinese firm will sell Harry... The Prince Harry undies after registering his name as a trademark. Q Novo Clothing have forked out the right to use the name. Good Lord, so it's going to be Prince Harry on your underwear. Would you really want Prince Harry? Have you ever seen Prince Harry's underwear? It's the naffest underwear you've ever seen anybody wear. He wears boxer shorts, but really old-fashioned type boxer shorts, which nobody's worn in a hundred years in this country. Really awful. So I wouldn't want any underwear that sort of had Prince Harry's name stuck on it. Um, other stories, Little Mix have been banned from wearing their own clothes. They're not still going, are they? I can't believe it. Little Mix are still going, ladies and gentlemen. I thought they disappeared. Apparently not. Uh, The bosses have ordered them to wear only clobber picked out by their stylists. They're a very odd group. I mean, how they found four unattractive people to star in the same group is beyond me. But there again, we were talking about groups the other day, and I was saying to somebody about groups who are here, or they were here, and then they just disappear. And and then they pop up on these television programmes years later, where they try and make a a career again, and the public go, you were rubbish first time round. Not going to see you second time round. Um, Also, there's a lovely story in the paper. A man who weighed 23 stone, and he's now decided that he going to lose, you know, lose a lot of weight, and he has lost a lot of weight, and he's now a David Beckham double. Well, I'm looking at the picture, doesn't look at all like David Beckham. Why do these people who claim to be lookalikes look nothing like them? He doesn't look anything like David Beckham. He's got bad hair. Um, he's got, you know, the only thing he's actually got is sort of a little, little kind of a beard going on. But he's in a, he's been approached by a lookalike agency. There was a television programme based on a lookalike agency. I don't think half these people look like anybody at all. They don't look like them. They had a, the only decent one was one who looked like Elton John. And only when he stuck a wig on his head did he look like Elton John. There was a Del Boy Trotter one as well. But most of them, of course, they just, they sort of bear a passing resemblance. A passing resemblance in white it work. The rest of the time. Coming up, the best baby-making songs, dear, on my programme, uh, including Adele's Someone Like You, Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On and James Blunt's You're Beautiful. It's LBC. It's quarter to six. <laughs> Latest headlines, Lisa Aziz. Muslim women are being urged to persuade their loved ones not to go to Syria. Oh, lovely. There's a very happy couple in the, in the paper today. And uh, it's Julie Hansford and Paul Young. She's 50 and he's 49. Good Lord, they don't—they don't look their age at all. Actually, they really don't. I mean, he looks about fifteen. But anyway, uh, when they uh, when they went came to picking a wedding reception, they knew exactly where they were going to pick—Pizza Hut, because that's where they met. <gasps> Why do people do it? What's the matter with them? Uh, housewife Julie says it actually only started as a joke when I said to Paul, "One day we'll get married in that church and have our reception at Pizza Hut." So they did. So they got married in pizza. They got married in the church. And she says, married life is amazing. But they had a a Pizza Hut cake, which had the Pizza Hut logo round it. And then on the top of it, it was a pizza. Made, obviously, out of cake and all the rest of it. It's so wrong, isn't it, on so many levels. Uh, John Warrington's on his way to to Heathrow and then uh, Stockholm. Now, have I been to Stockholm? No, I went to Copenhagen. He says, preparing to be sober for two days as a bottle of wine is £40. He said, I've managed to get the driver to switch over to LBC. I think, so too. I came in this I morning, and he said something to the with this morning. I didn't know what we were listening to. I'm sure it wasn't even English. It was very bizarre. It was, luckily, it was very soft in the background, so it means that I could sort of close my eyes on the on the journey in Stockholm. What's Stockholm famous for? I can't think of anything that Stockholm is, is known for. Is it known for its food? No, it's a bit like Vienna, isn't it? It's not known for food either. That's why we were talking about Australia. We were talking about Australia, and we were sort of saying... Um, you know, why people go to Australia. Do you go for the climate? Do you go for the the Sydney Opera House? Do you go for the bridge? Do you go for going out to see Ayers Rock? Do you do culture? You don't go there for the food, do you? Because they're not known for any food. I thought they were just known for barbecues. Chuck and I have a shrimp on the barbie, and that's it. And then Christmas, it's all, it's heat and everything. I don't think I cope very well in the heat. And I think we've got just as many good-looking people in this country as they have in Australia. It's only because it's, you know, it's got a bit of, bit of decent weather. That's about as far as it is, as far as it goes. Uh, apparently, benefit cheats are everywhere. Well, they are. Yes, it's lucky. We're lucky when the papers find them, and uh, and I absolutely love it when they get exposed in the papers because. Oh, sorry. Uh, because we um, we. <laughs> I've forgotten that that makes that noise every time I get it. Somebody always says to me, "Is that the noise of a text coming in on your phone?" I go, "It is." I'm ever so sorry, but it's um. It's. I forgot what I was talking about now. Anyway, so oh, it's. Uh, Abba and Saab and vodka. That's what Stockholm's famous for. Abba and Saab and vodka. Oh, right. Is that where, where does Grey Goose vodka come from? That comes from France. Oh, right. Belvedere's from Poland. They look so similar, don't they? Trust you to know that. Honestly, the producer, I mean, you you could give him a whole list of booze and he, he could tell you where it comes from and how much it costs. It's almost built into his telephone. His mammy doesn't know he drinks, of course. So if she's listening to this programme, she'd be horrified. That's, that's my son, Pod. He'd not drink. <laughs> Without realising. Oh, dear, honestly. You want to see the empties they throw away outside his place? There's three of them. I tell you, they've had to start shifting it into the neighbour's bins. I't want people to think they've got drink problems? Anything like that. They have to go out at dead of night with all their empties and sort of distribute them up and down the street. <laughs> We've all done that, haven't we? And there's... Um, Oh, some sad stories in the past. I don't want to do sad stories today. I've decided we only want to do happy stories. Happy stories are much, much better. And, uh, and trying to find them is, is, is a little bit difficult, I'm afraid. But on the, um, the subject of uh, Camilla and her younger brother who died yesterday, she apparently is, uh, is absolutely heartbroken. They've issued a, a statement... And that makes a lot of the papers today. He was a socialite he mixed with a lot of people, as I say, including Sarah Ferguson. How she slipped through the net, I do not know. Uh, Big Brother Chiefs wanting... Oh, that's right, I forgot to tell you about Justin Timberlake and how much money he left as a tip. Nearly £3,000 as a tip. Now, I've heard this before, and I'm supposing if you're Justin Timberlake and you get good service, why would £3,000 be that much money? I've started being a bit mean about tipping. And it was free bar. That's why... Him and his... Wow. So because he got the free bar, he tipped them three grand. I've started being a bit mean about tipping. If they put down a service charge on the bill, which they seem to put down to a lot of... Legally, legally, you can cross it out. You don't have to pay that. That's an extra charge. You don't have to pay it. And uh, some restaurants get a bit sniffy about it. If they want to push it further, you tell them the law. Chapter and verse, you do not have to pay a service charge. You can leave your name and address... And they can pursue it if they want to, but they wouldn't. And, of course, if I found a restaurant that, if I crossed the service charge off, ha- made me put it back on again, I would be lambasting them from on high, let me tell you, because it's, uh, it's an illegal practice. And they do it because they're offering rubbish wages to the staff who work in there. Because nine out of ten times, the service charge doesn't go to the person who serves your table. So if I go to a restaurant and there's a service charge on there and it's already put on the bill, I don't offer any more money. Sometimes I've got certain restaurants I go to where I say to them, can you bring me the bill, but don't put the service charge on there. And I prefer to leave what I want to leave, not what I'm being told what to leave. And that's that's the way I work. And that works perfectly well for me. So when it comes down to Celebrity Big Brother and we don't know who the people are, the reason is that because they're some of them are too famous. And apparently Tornado, I know, nobody knows who he is. Poor, poor delusional sap. He was some pathetic little gladiator a few years ago. Nobody knows who he is. He's only famous because he's going out with Kelly Brook, but he's now too famous to be on uh, Celebrity Big Brother. And the Channel 5 bosses believe he could be a surprise hit. What he, Has he demonstrated any personality recently? I've not known. All you see is him just standing there with his little tattoos and his little pair of trunks on. He looks a bit Neanderthal, I'm afraid. I shouldn't imagine he's got any personality at all. Most bodybuilders have got n- zero personality. They're the most boring people under the sun, as we told you earlier on. 66,000 in this country are on steroids. I could have a conversation with somebody on steroids. Anyway, David McIntosh is playing hard to get, insisting the UK is not his target market. He wants to focus on promoting himself on TV presenter, model and fitness expert in America. Oh, grow up, dear, for goodness sake. Don't be so stupid. You haven't done anything since you've left, have you? Have you done anything that's of note? No, you luckily found Kelly Brook. I mean, she'll tag along with most people. And she seems to go for your type. But I guarantee in a year's time, if your career hasn't taken off, (laughs) you will have done from the relationship. Um, Apparently, Channel 5 think he'll be hilarious on the show and as a talking point, as everybody wants to know what he's really like. Nobody wants to know what he's like. Nobody cares what he's like. Does anybody care what he's like? I don't think so. And they want to know how he snared Kelly. I should imagine he just did the same as everybody else. Oi, birdie, over here! I should imagine that's about as far as it went. I don't imagine him having a personality. He doesn't look as though he's got much to say for himself. You have to laugh, though, don't you? We always laugh at these people. I'm too famous. I'm too famous, and you do, uh, you do worry. You do worry. Actually, I still haven't sorted out my my trainers and the new things. But we've just had some good news. That's very good news, isn't it? You like that good news. If only we had a surprise today, but uh, but we haven't. Never mind. Uh, other stories. Other stories of the papers. Um, this is uh, The Amazing Rants by the axed boss, David Moyes. I can't help feeling something's gone a bit pear-shaped up in Manchester United. So he gets a six-year contract. Alex Ferguson says, you know, the fans have got to get behind him. Everybody claps and cheers and all the rest of it. And then they start going downhill. And they start losing left, right and centre. He actually claims that the stars were playing like girls... And were trying to get him the sack. But I mean, you don't think they're that intelligent, do you, Mr Moy? Surely not. They're just footballers. They don't have any brains apart from in their feet. But uh, he says that uh, he thinks a lot of people got together to get rid of him. So perhaps they didn't like him. He says, stop playing like girls, you'll get me the sack. So they carried on playing like girls. And I wonder if somebody who is experienced, and I'm just saying experienced, I don't really know how experienced he is, could not get them to play football properly... Do you think then that's a, that somebody we might actually have to backtrack and credit footballers with having a brain cell? I'm not sure whether or not it will apply to most of them, especially at Manchester United. But, um, but if they actually got rid of him after six months, perhaps they didn't like him. Perhaps they have become so, so affected by their own egos and their own publicity that they believe that they're invincible and they can get rid of anybody they want to. In the case of him, they did, but it's going to cost £5 million, so that's blown any pay rise out of the water. Unless, of course, Man United are going to change the Strip again. They seem to be fairly popular at changing the Strip. Um, Tens of thousands of fans were sent a message from Moyes before he was sacked saying he was looking forward to seeing them next season. So obviously he didn't know, but somebody must have... They must have sat down at board level and had a discussion going, listen, it can't get any worse. I mean, to be honest, I probably could have done better. It depends, I suppose, if the footballers like you and if you instil in them some sort of loyalty. Perhaps he didn't do it. perhaps there was no loyalty. Perhaps there was no loyalty. Perhaps that's why it went pear-shaped. I don't know. I do... I, I've got no idea. I just know that he's going to get about a £5 million payoff, which seems quite nice. I like the idea of a £5 million payoff. Actually, I've, I've got... To, next week, a couple of... When it comes to football, I'm I'm not an expert, but I do my best. I try and understand what's what's going on in the game. I know that if I'd learnt to play football at school, I would be earning considerably more money than I am from sitting here at coming up to 6 o'clock in the morning. But there again, I always had two left feet. I did play rugby... I did do the sports, and it, it just was not for me. Definitely not for me. Uh, they're now saying this metal washed up in south-west Australia is unlikely to be from the missing flight. A lot of the papers are saying, oh, we could have found it. Just one piece of metal washed up, I'm afraid, does not make a flight. It really doesn't. And an Aussie transport safety chief says, we do not consider this likely to be of use to us in our search. So, again, we are no nearer or no further away. We're still in exactly the same place we were before, which is we have no idea where this flight went to. Loads more to come in your final half hour of your early morning breakfast on LBC. We'll be going back over all the top stories. Catherine Jenkins showing off that sparkling engagement ring. A lot of men going, ooh, but I loved her. I loved her as well. John Lewis has been named Britain's best retailer after 150 years since opening their first small shop on Oxford Street. Smaller portions of food keep your children calmer at mealtimes, and Led Zeppelin have unveiled two never-before-heard tracks ahead of the band's reissue of their first three albums in June. That's clever marketing, isn't it? Oh, we found some tracks we never knew we had. Oh, we're going to get some publicity on that one. That always works. All of that, and uh, hopefully your text, tweets and emails. I'm Steve Allen. This is LBC, and all of that is next. Morning, everybody. Welcome, blogs. The final twenty-five minutes of the program. Everything, well, as many as we can read out. Uh, we're reading on the program this morning. All the uh, the text. We're having a bit of a slight mare of a day with the text and the email and stuff like that. But we will we will get round to it. So uh, that that good tip, which I thought was a fantastic tip, three thousand pounds for a free bar by Justin Timberlake. I don't think I've ever tipped like that. I've heard of other people who've tipped big. A uh, big Led Zeppelin unveiling two never-be-heard-for tracks ahead of the band's reissue. It's a way of getting publicity in the paper. Oh, not got some surprise there. Because you've got to find something, haven't you? And that's why. I can't wait to know. Do Led Zeppelin still have fans? I suppose they must have. And John Lewis, Britain's best retailer. Oh, I could testify to that. All of that and more on LBC this morning. 84850steve at lbc.co.uk. And, as I say, I'm desperately hoping that some of them do make it through. Not all of them, I'm afraid. Not all of them at the moment, because they're, they're coming through in sort of little little dribs and drabs. Kevin the Miltman says the phrase, stop playing like girls, you'll get me the sack, is not motivational. More like a challenge. Yes, I'm, I'm inclined to agree, actually, probably on that one. We like the fact that uh, Andy Murray wept the other day when he was given the... Freedom of his hometown, of his home city, at Stirling. And he became a little bit emotional about the whole thing. I was watching uh, something online and Gracie Fields went back and they gave her the freedom of Rotherham, I think, or wherever it was. And uh, she did Sally, Sally, and everybody joined in, which was quite nice. Uh, 84850, Steve LBC. Here's uh, here's a man here, the dangerous world of bodybuilding jabs. And it's steroids. Uh, User Ollie Smith... It says, it's so great on steroids, I don't care about the side effects. Well, when we're burying you, we'll we'll bear that in mind, shall we? Uh, 800 men sought steroid-linked breast tissue removal last year. There were 2,600 steroid poisoning cases, up from 1,600 in 2003. There are an estimated steroid users in the UK, some 60,000 people. Apparently, you can walk into just about any gym and find somebody who will know where you will get hold of steroids. And I don't know how they operate. I don't know. Is it a way of bulking somebody up? I'm assuming that. There's one here. This is Ollie Smith. I mean, quite clearly the man's got issues. Mental ones, I should imagine. And The reason is that steroids affect uh, the balance, don't they? Because he's now five stone more than his body weight. He obviously thinks he looks fantastic and he thinks he looks great. Uh, Where they get these steroids from, I mean, I'm assuming that they're available somewhere on the internet. I can't think of... I can't think of anything else at all. I'm afraid, but his—he—he's—he's uh, he's suffering already. It's—he started using these drugs when he was 17. He doubled his weight from a seven-stone weakling to a snarling animal in three years. But that's probably mental issues. I'm assuming that the majority of people who actually take steroids have got emotional issues upstairs. It also uh, shrinks parts of men's anatomy. It makes them uh, very volatile, and. Uh, And as I say, I mean, I don't think he's done himself any favours. He just comes over as a bit of an idiot in this thing. Because why would you want to start injecting or taking something into your body that you know nothing about? It was like those women in America who started injecting stuff into their bottoms. And uh, it turned out it was silicon. And you've never seen something so horrendous in your life. And I believe, actually, um, even one of the Kardashians spent £12,000 enhancing her bottom. Dorman Dom is a Led Zeppelin fan. Yes, uh, there are loads of jokes incidentally about David Moyes. Thank you everybody very much indeed. We we read them out on the program the other day. And uh another one here it says somebody uh, by you know why do we not get rid of this absurd ritual of tipping? Pay the staff what they're worth and end this potentially embarrassing custom. I don't know why we tip. It's always been my big argument and it's always, I always thought it stands up very well. Nobody's ever had an answer to it at all. Why do you tip somebody in uh you you don't tip in a minicab, do you? And yet you tip a taxi driver. Why do you tip a taxi driver? Can anybody explain why, why we tip a taxi driver? The producer doesn't know. I don't know why we do. Because somebody gets paid for doing a job. Nobody comes around here and says, oh, I've left 20 quid on the front desk for you, Steve, as a tip. Because there is no tip. You tip a hairdresser. You tip the person who washes your hair. And yet, for some reason, the person who packs your bag in the supermarket, you don't give them anything. And yet they're doing you a I thought you tip for a service. So in which case, we used to, in this country, tip the postman. We used to tip the dustbin men. And if you didn't, they used to empty your rubbish all over the place and then leave you to sweep it up. But now, nobody thinks about going out there and giving a Christmas box to the dustman. Perhaps it happens in little rural communities up and down the country, but it certainly doesn't happen in London. Yet you go to a restaurant and you tip. I tip when I go into a restaurant. Why? Somebody's bringing the food from here to here. Well, sh- should I not be tipping the person who's made it because quite clearly, they're they're, the sort of, they're they're my first port of call. Why are you tipping the girl who's bringing it from, from the counter to here? I could manage that myself. You've just got to go, table three, your sandwich is ready. And I go and pick it up and put it down at the table. Don't have to tip anybody. A lot of places are offering like that. You don't, you don't go into Kentucky Fried Chicken or McDonald's and go, thank you very much indeed, and have, have 20 pence yourself. You don't do that, do you? Why would why do you tip certain people? I never understand why we tip taxi drivers. I understand, you know, the whole process of tipping. You're tipping somebody for a service, but w- what is the service? The service is it's a taxi. If it, You don't tip the bus driver and he's taking you from A to B. You don't tip the bus conductor or the ticket inspector, Trevor, who gets on. I don't go to Waterloo Station and tip Lenny down there. I don't go to Twickenham Station and tip Brian. 3.30 at Kempton, you know, usual sort of thing. Why do we tip now? It's very odd, isn't it? I can't I can't quite understand it this day and age and because it's so outdated and nobody knows what to tip. You go to some countries, it's standard. I hate it when they give you your sort of change back on a little tray. I empty it all into my pocket straight away. I don't like that. And yet certain nightclubs, that's how they operate. And they're operating like that because the person needs to survive on the tips. But I don't know why we tip somebody. If it's a service, if it's something really fantastic, I could, I could understand it. But you know, I don't really see driving you from A to B. Because if if we tip the taxi driver, we've got to tip the bus driver, or the coach driver. And we don't we don't do these things, do we? Uh, more on the uh, the dying teenager who's raised more than a minute. This is Stephen Sutton. Uh, the only reason I keep mentioning him is because well done him, well done somebody at that age who, in your last dying moments, your last dying breath, you're actually doing something good. Whereas then you read the story of uh, layabout. Louise Coulter, a thieving old bag of the first order who ripped us off to the tune of thirty eight grand uh, in a benefit rip-off. No chance of getting it back cause she's spent the money. Well, I'd go ra- I want everything off her house. I want the furniture back if she's got a car, I want that back. I want everything sold so we can get some money back and if she's still on benefits, pay it all back. let's make her pay. Let's make her pay. Tracy Johnson was the uh, one. 48000 pounds while working as a travel guide abroad fifty-two she comes from Froome in Somerset, convicted of fraud and, uh, as far as I'm concerned, straight to prison, love. You can rot in there, as far as I'm concerned. The sooner we find all these people, the happier we are going to be. Um, I was right about the fact that I didn't think that the Geldof family were particularly close. I think after Paulie Yates died, um, I think Bob kind of gave up. I think he knew what he had to do as his duty, but the trouble is he had his own life to lead and I think it just it just wasn't in there. And I don't think that there was any, any relationship with Peaches at all. There certainly didn't appear to be with the sisters, did there? When they were tweeting this week prior to the funeral uh, about makeup hints and everything else, whereas I thought they would have been tweeting about their sister. So perhaps they weren't close as a family. And then Bob Geldof has actually come out in the papers today, and he's admitted that he's angry about his distance. He apparently he's said he had an up and down relationship with the mum of two, and it had suffered lately. He said, I didn't speak to peaches enough. There wasn't enough communication at times, and I have to live with that. You see, so because she was volatile, that's when she was going through a drugs and wild child thing, parents kind of go, well, you do what you want to do, and they wash their hands. And that's, of course, where it all falls apart. And that's why. He said, I didn't speak to her enough, which is what I predicted all the time. That's why people go off the rails. If you've got a stable home life, and you've got you know, a loving family around you who look after you, then it's fine. I don't think he bothered at all. I don't think he bothered, but now he has to live with it. They didn't speak. She was as volatile as he was. We've seen him lose his temper a few times. So, consequently, the two clashing, what what do you end up with? Nothing. Nobody speaks. How many times do you hear of families who don't talk anymore? Coming up, one of Britain's oldest cake shops is to float on the stock exchange. Which one do you think it is? LBC News Time. Very nearly 14 minutes past six. 20 is the time. Nick and the team will be along at 7 o'clock this morning. If you drink and most of you, I suspect, do drink, because it's coming up to the weekend again, if you drink three and a half pints of beer a day, that can add two pounds a week in weight, which is equal to seven stone a year. Well, I see thin people drinking. I don't see loads of fat people drinking. As well as the calories in booze, people who exceed their personal tipping point tend to eat unhealthy and axe exercise plans. So, in other words, when you drink, and we've all done it, We've all been there, where you go out and you have a few drinks on a Friday night. And then after you've had the few drinks, you go, oh, I could really eat something. And that's when you end up eating the burgers. That's when you end up eating the kebabs, although you're not too sure what you're eating, actually, in the meat term nowadays. That's when you want to go and eat the Kentucky. But you want something that's going to soak up the alcohol. And for that reason, we eat very, very badly. They say that if you consume three and a half beers on a on a Friday night, the chances are you will go out and eat 2,800 calories of food that evening to soak it up. And that can be chips, pizza, kebabs, burger. It's what I call the cheap food. It's the stuff that lines your stomach. It's the stuff that lines your... But we, we have to eat. When we have a few drinks, we have to go out and eat. I'm sure they don't do it in other countries. I'm sure I've been to other places and they don't sort of eat the rubbish that we eat. Next day... If you're fighting off a hangover and you've drunk three and a half pints of beer, and there might be many of you listening thinking, is that all? That's all it takes to add seven stone a year to your body weight, three and a half pints a day. I mean, some people, I used to have a producer, could drink sort of six or seven pints easily in a city. But there again, because he was an alcoholic, he never never ate anything. And so when you eat your food that night, and you I'm sure you're supposed to feel better, but you don't, then the next morning you'll have a fry-up, you'll have a cooked breakfast. And so you'll have, you know... The full English. The full English now is mushrooms. In my case, it's um, it's this uh, this nice sort of blood sausage and uh, and white sausage. Very exciting. And then, of course, later on the day, just to to keep your levels topped up, you eat chocolate biscuits. I try and stay well clear of it. Occasionally, very very occasionally, I will have a fry up, but it is very very occasionally. I'd you know I'd rather have a a, a sort of something like a bacon sandwich, toasted bacon sandwich for me is actually quite nice. But uh, but the rest of it, the fry-up, you can only have in moderation. Who's going to float on the Stock Exchange? Which, my favourite place, which again I can't eat at too often, Patisserie Valerie, apparently. Patisserie Valerie are going to be floating on the Stock Exchange and they're a shaking your head in there, honestly. It's like looking at The Muppet Show. Have you ever seen The Muppet Show where Statler and Waldorf sit in that little box? They sit there and they and they sort of... It's not Ken and David, you're very rude, say this morning. I don't know. You wait till you've had to sort of exercise your muscles and bring in the thing to hang up for the Clegg programme. Actually, the fun thing was, we walked in yesterday and the Clegg blind was up at the window. It's gone today, so it's obviously got at some point, come back into the studio, which I quite like, because it is called Clegg. Strangely enough, and because we talked earlier on about this, this new idea of having dash cams on the front of your car, I've got one on my car, and it films the back of the car as well, and a lot of people will say it's a brilliant idea, uh, people recognise the need to protect their cars. You need to protect it against those people who will illegally ram into you and then try and claim on the insurance, claiming that they've had whiplash in any one of a number of fake injuries. Strangely enough, there is a motoring journalist and a broadcaster who will disagree with this completely with Nick Ferrari this morning. I can't wait for this one. Uh, he's not comfortable. He says it's leading to a tracking society. There is a moral dilemma with civilians... Uh, spying on civilians. Well, I mean, I want to protect my place. That's why we have CCTV at home. We've got a 16-camera system in full record all the time. Of course you have to. In fact, driving into London, what did they say? Did they work it out? Nick will probably know the facts and figures on this, if the internet comes back. Uh, and And the amount of times, if you drive into London, how many cameras track you between, say, coming into London and arriving in Leicester Square? Something like 100 cameras could track your car and you can be recorded so they could see you all the way through. Well, I welcome that kind of technology. I'm a big fan of that sort of thing. I like the idea that, you know, somebody's out there looking after me. Otherwise, where would the police get all their evidence from? They're not going to find anything at all, are they? So I think in the long run, these little dash cams, and they are cheap, are going to be the way forward. It's going to be the safest way forward, just in case... There is an accident, and then you could say, listen, it wasn't my fault, this is what I was doing at the time, and this is what the camera was looking at. Front page of The Sun this morning. It's uh, Camilla, brother, killed in a freak fall. And this is Mark Shand, who tumbled and cracked his head while smoking a cigarette outside a New York cocktail bar. Uh, he appeared to be a socialite. Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't know very much about him, apart from the fact that the papers are, are full of pictures uh, of him with various people. Front of the Daily Star this morning... Uh, This is British police probing Madeleine McCann's disappearance, set to make arrests after a major breakthrough. Chief suspect is a pot-bellied man uh, who apparently is wanted. I mean, where this has come from, I have no idea. The Daily Mirror also running through it, and they say a 10-year-old British girl was attacked. I think she's 17 now, but now she's come forward to say she was attacked in the same resort uh, two years before... Madeleine McCann was attacked in Pride de Luche. If, indeed, Madeleine McCann was attacked in Pride de Luche, because, quite simply, we don't know. We don't know what happened. Nobody has any idea. It can only be guesswork. There's no CCTV, there's no witnesses, there's no nothing at all. Uh, front of the, the Daily Mail, the Duchess of Cornwall, utterly devastated by the death of her younger brother. Uh, Richard Kay is doing a piece on the Mark Shand that I knew. The Express running with that as well, and the Madeleine McCann story... Front of the Metro today, Madeleine, copycat assault on British Girl at same resort. And also um, Stephen's Story, Stephen Sutton, giving supporters a thumbs up. How long he's going to live, I don't know. He's got a terminal illness. He's raised a million pounds. you think they can make it two million pounds. That would be something, wouldn't it? That would be a great legacy for him. He only wanted 10,000 pounds, bless him. And he's got up to a million. And I think it's coming in at the rate of 50 pounds a minute at the moment. It will help support more people with cancer. I would love to think that they could, uh, on the back of this, find a, find a cure and do something so he can have some sort of lasting legacy. It can be Stephen's legacy, which I think would be rather nice. There's uh, a fake trader with a £5 million piggy bank on the front of the uh, the Metro. Uh, front of the Independent today, it's uh, Dorota Zimok, president of the Polish City Club. Uh, which caters for top executives in London's financial sector. The scandal of the empty free schools. And uh, also they're talking today about uh, St George, the perfect patron saint of England, which apparently nobody's got the faintest idea what he did, where he came from, what he does, why we can't fly the flags. We had the big celebration, as you know, In Trafalgar Square the other day, no flags up at all, which I thought was slightly, slightly strange. Teachers to fight strikes with the union breakaway. And the Telegraph benefit cuts lift the self-employed. All of that and more you'll find between the pages of the papers for this morning. I'm back with you tomorrow morning. Don't forget, we'll have a free podcast. Well, I'm not sure, actually. We'll record a free podcast. Whether we can get the thing up in time because of the internet, I don't know. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we can do that. Uh, I'm back tomorrow from four. If you missed any of today's show, you can listen again whenever you like through our podcast service. Download the app. Nick is here at seven with breakfast. Next, it's Lisa Aziz with the LBC Morning News.